but we are live recording. Uh, welcome to another installment of the Nameless Podcast. Woohoo! We had a stupid idea today. Yes. Really stupid. I don't know why. I'm joined by Ben Eads, who originally launched the stupid idea. <laughs> I don't know why I was sitting at my desk and I was like, let's 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 watch the debates. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I originally was going to have D&D tonight, but my DM canceled because he wasn't feeling too good. And I was like, huh, well, I guess that means I can watch the debate. And then literally I get a text, hey, what are you doing? Let's live stream the debate. I was like, great idea. (laughs) One thing I've noticed, uh, for those who, I I guess, you know I haven't presented yet. Ben Eads on for fourth or fifth time. I think this might even be the sixth. (laughs) I think this is the sixth. (laughs) Area 51. No, I I did one before that. You had a solo episode. Area 51. Uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. Uh, Stuart and Ben. Yeah. And uh, now, this is fifth. It is the fifth one. Okay. This is the fifth, unless okay. I'm missing one. But yeah. Yeah. Episode number five. But you know what? The other one was the the Valentine's Day one was another one. It was like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> you, no, you texted me like, hey, yeah. let's record an episode. Like, yeah, let's record an episode. <laughs> it's a great idea. Yeah. And so, that seemed like it was almost two years ago at this point. Right? That was only like six months ago. Oh, man, so much has happened since then. It was pre-COVID. Yeah. So we've got right now, uh, they're they're just starting right now. Chris Wallace is kind of opening up right now, kind of doing his thing. I was kind of half expecting like an opening prayer. (laughs) Well, now I'll start with an opening prayer. Conferences this weekend, too. Brother Wallace, would you uh, be willing to give the opening prayer? Where's my Red Bull? Uh, I don't know. I I put in some caffeine Mio. We're going to do this right. <laughs> Mio! Yeah. So, uh, while Sam's doing that, um, uh, I think I think compared to both of us, I think we're both kind of moderate in this scenario. Uh, we don't necessarily, like, I, I know I really can't vote for Biden. I'll say that right out. Um, but yeah. I, I, I didn't vote for Trump. And I... I, I as of right now, this will be the only time that I will ever say this. I'm leaning towards voting for Trump for one reason. That is? It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he is so freaking funny sometimes. Well, no, not just that he's so funny. It's just he himself the, is funny. The amount of chaos that he brings and and just disrupts the system and just the amount of of, of vitriol that just gets thrown around just because of everything he he does is just hilarious yeah no that's exactly how it is like everything comes down to beating donald trump and that's yeah. what the democrats have been talking about for a while and it's like that's not gonna get you like that was one of the reasons why i liked andrew yang is because he was like this isn't merely about beating trump like this is about making sure we get real change in place whether you agree with that or not <clears throat> or what he defined as the change is necessary at least he could look past it but they are now on stage first subject uh, supreme of course court. first subject is the supreme court now this is interesting she looks just like uh laura lenny remind me who she is again have you watched ozark i am i am watching it right now it's uh, Wendy Bird. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks literally just like her. In fact, that's actually the reason why I had the idea. You put, made that you post. Because you saw my status. I yes. saw your post, and I was actually watching Ozarks at that moment. And I and I really actually wanted to get your opinion of why you think that she, she, she just looks like it, or do you think she, she looks like it? She okay. just looks like her, Because yeah. she's evil. Like, oh, she's, yeah. <laughs> 
like her character in in Ozarks is 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 evil. Yeah, the way she ju- like tiptoes around that whole affair and everything, and yeah. Man, he looks so orange. <laughs> I think the contrast on your t- I hope the contrast on your TV is <laughs> is wrong because he does look very orange today. In fact, so so one of my favorite meals is strawberry pineapple smash, which some people refer to as urine in a bottle. And uh, we may be able to make that comparison today with uh, Senor Trump up it on the screen. It is urine in a bottle. <laughs> Funny story about urine in a bottle. I woke up one night. I needed to pee really bad. Downstairs bathroom was taken. Upstairs bathroom was taken. Oh, I hate that. So I just grabbed a bottle and was like... I, I, I may have done that before. And I was like, okay, I'll get it to him later. <laughs> I went back to sleep. Woke up in the middle of the night and was thirsty. Oh, no. Reached over. No, no. Thought it was my Gatorade bottle. No. Swig. And dude, it was like seawater. <laughs> <laughs> well... There are, Salt. I know there's actually crazy diets out there that oh. that people do that they drink yeah. their own urine. Dude, I, I think uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is a part of that. Dude, she's <laughs> didn't she get like uh, a model for vagina wax or something like that? I don't like, know. Dude, she's weird. Yeah. Let's see what Trumpy's saying here. So he's just basically saying that the Republicans win, have the Senate, they have the presidency. Politically speaking, they can make a nomination and accept it, and that's. Okay, I'm, I'm curious to see what wrong. Joe says. We maybe have to be quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The American people have a right to have a say who the Supreme Court nominee is. And that say occurs when they vote for a United States senator and when they vote for the President of the United States. They're not going to get that chance now because we're in the middle of an election already. The election has already started. Tens of thousands of people have already voted. And so the thing that should happen is we should wait. We should wait and see what the outcome of this election is. Because that's the only way the American people get to express their view is by who they elect as president and who they elect as vice president. Now, what's at stake here is the president has made it clear he wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. He's been running on that. He ran on that. And he has been going. Okay, so he's just now going to talk uh, about yeah. that. All right, side <laughs> sidestep. <laughs> he's like... Let the American people decide president and vice president. By the way, Affordable Care Act. Like, okay. Well, now it's just the the reason why they want the Supreme Court. um, Is because of... Of of the potential ramifications of having a 6-4 or 6-3 court. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and the the, the whole thing on on, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's last... RBG? Last will and testament or whatever, her dying wish was to have the seat open until... Like that's 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 weird. Well, it's like you you don't get to decide that. Like, yeah. See, and, and and you know what? Like everybody kind of forgets Sandra Sandra Day O'Connor existed. <laughs> yeah, right? she was the first woman on the Supreme Court. Yeah, I. The thing that bothered me is how everybody was just like RBG woman empowerment. It's like, can you name anything she's done? I very, bet there's some very, people that very can. few people posted things that actually had substance. Like this is why we should be excited about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, so I, I'm actually curious of your your opinion of uh, whoever I, I forget who the new one is. Uh, Amy, Amy Barrett. Yeah. Do you have an opinion, or have you been able to form an opinion on her? I haven't researched anything. I was I was not thrilled about Kavanaugh, and uh, uh, and it didn't have anything to do with his uh, the whole allegations. Allegations, which it was like just trying to delay stuff. 
which happens a lot with conservative appointed nominees. Yeah. Uh, Clarence Thomas, that had happened a, to had him. Had the same issue. Yeah. Now, it used to be the case that uh, it was always thought that the judges would try to be the the best among us. They're supposed to be the most apolitical person in the in the legis or in the uh, judicial branch, but just in the government organization yeah. because of the nature of their position as far as interpreting the laws, interpreting what's on on the paper. Um, oh, we got oh we got some we got some developments. Let's see. Okay, they're still talking about affordable um, care. Well, they're just still talking about the positions on the Supreme Court and how it's going to affect the uh, what they want to do with it. <laughs> this is already awful. This honestly looks like a like the. Uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, she's so petty. <laughs> it's like, you know those are you ever seen like one of your like married homies get in an argument with his wife and he yeah. just keeps slipping in like little quick jabs <laughs> while she can? Yeah. That's what Trump's doing right now. Yeah. How many of those that survived? seven million people that contracted COVID. What does it mean for Now we're at the COVID, who's got a shot? I will ding, say, ding, ding. I will say, Joe doesn't look like you know his senile self right now. That's what I was thinking. Is he'd do really well in the first half hour because, yeah, he's he's well rested and and set up. I mean, like during the the conventions, he only spoke for like twenty minutes. Yeah, and Trump went on for seventy minutes. And uh, number one, I don't think anybody actually watched the whole thing. <laughs> Probably not. Number two, I think he only did it out of spite, just to say, hey, I can actually. Um, stand up and talk for 70 minutes. Now, the funny thing is he's accusing Biden of taking Adderall or some sort of quote-unquote performance enhancement to be oh, able to do... Oh, you know Trump do. is too. Yeah, I was about to say. Like, he, he he only gets like four hours of sleep tonight if he's not on Adderall or something like that as well. He's what, 72, 74, 73? 73. And Biden's 77. Yeah. Like, if Trump himself isn't also taking something, then... then uh, yeah, I mean seventy three. I was in. I was. At, went to the store today. I uh, went to DP Cheesesteaks and uh, went to go grab a sandwich. And there was a guy who's probably seventy two or seventy three. Started talking to me, and surprisingly enough, he didn't sound like these guys, but he was definitely not quite entirely there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he was probably seventy two. He said he retired twenty years ago. So yeah, that would have put him probably about seventy five. And uh, he asked what my hat was. I was wearing a BYU racing hat. And so he was asking what my hat meant. Because it says BYU-R. He says, what does the R mean? Then he went on to talk about how he helped build the Tanner building. Oh, <laughs> or he helped, he helped procure funds to build the Tanner building. He helped put it in place. 
Let's see. Okay. Okay, that's a good question. So they've been debating Obamacare, and so now Mr. Moderator is, is actually calling Trump out and says, what's your plan to actually... So pre-existing conditions. Let's see. What is Trump health care plan? I dude, he can get savage on some of these, dude. Gotta love it. No actual, just, just, it's like water. Okay. But he is, but that is an important point, letting people go to other countries to buy drugs. Yeah. That's important. Isn't there already a public option to Obamacare? Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least Biden's civil enough. even like 20 minutes in and this is already gosh. devolved into playground tactics it's already a s oh my gosh <laughs> no you're the liar <laughs> he's so childish oh my gosh you finished last in your class not first this is this is painful I mean, <laughs> this is just. <laughs> he is so petty. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is bad. I, I don't know how much longer we can do this, man. To be completely, this is gonna honest. be tough, dude. This is an hour and a half. <sighs> hour and a half long. Oof. I don't know. I I don't know if I can handle that either. I don't think so either. <sighs> His what? It wasn't Trump's recession. What are you talking about? Yeah, dude, Obamacare screwed over a lot of middle class people. 
I think the idea is great. Like, yeah, we want to make sure poor people can get the health care they need. Well, and I don't mind it either because, dude, I had an ER visit in <laughs> July. I had an ER visit about two weeks ago. Yeah, dude, I got the bill for it, including uh, – so the bill along with the, the doctor because the doctor's billed separately. Yep, yep. It was like nearly three grand. No, Holy it was cow. over three grand. Holy cow. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I haven't gotten my bill back yet. Dude, three grand? Are you kidding me? I don't have three grand to just throw out there. Neither do I want to because the care that I received was pretty crappy, I might say. Where did you go? Uh, Intermountain. Or uh, uh, what's it called? The one in Provo, the big one. Yeah, that's Intermountain. Yeah, Intermountain. Usually they're pretty good. It's ridiculous. Um, like the people there were nice, but like they didn't really do anything. It was kind of in retrospect, I wish I wouldn't have gone. What did you have to go for? Oh no, I remember. I remember we talked about that. Yeah, it was. It was kind of. It was just kind of silly. Yeah, I, I had a. I got a blood clot in my leg. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's kind of serious. Yeah. Well, it is, but it isn't. Um, my apparently it happens in my family. My my mom's had several, and I've even had one before. And uh, my leg was hurting, and I was like, this is not typical type of pain. Because th- it felt like I had a charley horse for like a week. Ow. And uh, and it was getting worse. And then once I felt that it, I, I was driving home from work, and when I came home from work, I walked around. And, yeah, it was getting worse at the end of the day. And I was like, yeah, charley horses aren't supposed to get worse. And so then I went to the doctor, and, yet, yep, had a blood clot. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, blood yeah. Clot. and then it proceeded to get a lot worse. Uh, as far as pain levels and, but now it's doing much better, but, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was, that was painful. You know, what's interesting is like, one thing that I realized, it's like, like, I feel bad because I don't really think about a solution that much. I just focus so much on the problem itself, but like healthcare costs are out of control. Yeah. And you know, if somebody gets cancer or has a life threatening injury, we shouldn't have to crowd crowdsource it like that shouldn't be a thing like it's cool we have gofundme and it's definitely helped out a lot of people yeah but that shouldn't be necessary for us to make sure we're taking care uh, of health care is definitely a, a touchy subject because the the fundamental baseline argument is is whether or not your health is considered a human right or not um and that's an interesting debate that you can have is, is oh absolutely you have is, to set the parameters for it like because like pre like sometimes like a pre-existing condition okay did you did you cause yourself to like get this condition, or was it something that was completely out of your control? Yeah, no. and then I mean, there's there's an interesting. I mean, this this is a really really philosophical level of debate is whether or not uh, the right. I mean, we have the right to life. We have the right to the defense of life. Right. We don't necessarily have the right to survive. If that makes sense. Dude, Wallace already looks like he wants to punch somebody. <laughs> And how long have we made it? Not even 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Chris Wallace is like, the real hero here. Um, but anyways, going back to the healthcare, like, like, do you get what I mean when I say we don't necessarily have the right to survive? Like, yeah. Like, if, if nature throws us a curveball, like, do we, we have the right to try to, to the best of our abilities, be able to survive that, but... Um, it kind of makes sense that in an, I mean I'm I'm a very natural law type of person. I believe that like natural law is fundamental and unchangeable, and according to natural law, you're gonna die. Yeah. Um, and so so you can do things to help try to pre- prevent natural law, but then it's not natural anymore. And so then you you are then uh, 
relying on someone else's expertise or someone else's goods and services as far as a market perspective goes to be able to deliver the the skills necessary to save your life and that's where market economy that's where market economy comes into play right and so because there's a need because there's a need somebody's going to provide that and somebody has done the work yeah. to be able to provide it and so that's the that's the philosophical and they debate. should and when they're allowed to compete they they naturally have to make sure they're yeah and so when when enough. insurance companies first started it was a great idea yeah pool money together and when you have um uh, a crisis because like like the, the the statistics are that a lot more healthy people are going to be healthier than not yeah. And so you pull your money together, and when there is a, an event happening to that needs that requires tremendous amount of, of resources to be able to combat, you can then draw upon those the pool that you have been been uh, contributing to. Right. That's a brilliant idea. The problem with it is um, is number one the the product motivation, so the profit motivation. Um, Might I add? Who is looking for the profits? Pharmaceutical companies. I'm talking pharma- about specifically insurance companies. Well, so insurance companies, privately owned. Yeah. Pharmaceutical companies, privately owned. Yeah. Healthcare networks, privately owned. Yeah. So by definition, their number one motive is shareholder. Yeah. And so, so that's, a, that's a big difference. Like shareholder profits over privately held profits are different. Yeah. Um, and maybe that there could be something to be said that we can't have publicly traded healthcare that it has, all has to be maintained privately if you're going to have a private healthcare it's going to be private if you want to have it publicly traded it has to be nonprofit right so that's something that we can talk about that's that's a potential solution that i think we could we could work with yeah um but the issue that comes with an insurance guarantee is what's is the exact same thing that's happening in in uh, in education as well is you have guaranteed funds so guaranteed profit so then you try to milk the insurance companies for all that they can give and so you have insurance companies fighting with healthcare companies because they basically have guaranteed money and so that's where the inflation comes from is um, you've been contributing this much it's just like taxes you've been contributing this much for so long that now we can charge basically a premium because we know that you have the money to actually do it. Yeah, and it, and by definition, an insurance company wouldn't be in business if they knew that they were going to have to pay out every single claim, yeah, and yeah. their bottom line, they weren't going to make money off of it. Yeah. So it's it, it's things like that that are... It, it, it starts out as a good idea, but then but gets... But that's the problem, too, is that you have to generate profits to, yeah. be, to be a successful business. True. So you have to, like, you want to incentivize it to where... They're going to invest it back into people, back into the, you know, like to make sure that, that it's not filthy lucre, you know, that yeah. that's what, you know, a lot of people want, but we can't, I would be okay with a public option if, if, uh, if, uh, if insurance wasn't mandatory because in like insurance itself, it's like, if I just need to go to the doctor, right. Just mm-hmm. for general che- checkups and I don't have anything serious, mm-hmm. I, and, but I have to pay for insurance then I, I don't want it. I'd rather just pay cash yeah. for my visits. Yeah. And I think a lot of providers would like that too if yeah. it's just a general provider and they're not doing anything too drastic. Mm-hmm. And so by mandating insurance, then you kind of guarantee that income. Yeah. And so that's when inflation happens. And so the the crazy part is that administrative personnel, and in, the same thing's happened in the, in the education fields. Administrative personnel has outpaced uh, medical personnel in the healthcare and education industry by almost three to one. 
And so for every healthcare professional, there are three administrators like managing that healthcare because number one of the bureaucracy that it requires well, number they have two to. they have to to remain compliant a lot of times yeah it just the bureaucracy that it requires the compliance that it requires but and then just it's runaway administration i mean is healthcare that's the, does it need to be that complicated i don't know i mean the lawsuits alone probably but that's a whole that's a insurance and that's stuff a whole like other that thing carry, like yeah it's scary that's there's a, a lot of things thing. that and that's and that's and it comes down to again that 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 conception of the right to survive um, because malpractice is kind of tied in with that where, oh, you screwed up. Uh, you are now responsible for my life and I, I, I cannot live a, a, uh, a proper life now because of what you've done. Um, which, you know, you know, there's, there is one place. So, well, not, I don't know if it's the only place, but I know that Norway, no, it's either Norway or Sweden. They have a public and a private option. Yeah. And the private stuff, it's like. If you want to go private, you can, and that's for the more, like, complex things, like, uh, or, like, you know, plastic surgery or yeah. things like that. Or, you know, things that aren't necessarily, like, oh, I, I need to survive if I'm going to have this or not. Like, yeah. okay. Like, ER rooms shouldn't bankrupt people for going there. That's like, true, yeah. That that shouldn't be it. I remember my brother, so I forget how many visits ago. Uh, it was the last visit that I went to back to Ohio, so I ended up staying an extra week. Because my brother busted his knee while we were playing basketball. And I felt terrible for him because one of the biggest things he had to worry about was like, crap, how much money is this, this going to cost? <laughs> well, and, and he was at the hospital, right? He checked in. He's like, I just need to get an MRI done. and yeah, Well, there's three grand right there. Yeah, and then if anything, I just need like something because like I'm in a lot of pain. And... Uh, they kept him overnight, and he's like, "I, I just want to go home." They're like, "Well." They kept him overnight for an MRI. They kept him overnight, and he's that's like, weird. Well, because they're like, "Well, we're just waiting in line for the machine," and like, it, it almost seemed like they were sandbagging because they wanted to like milk money out of him. Yeah, because when I broke my ankle, you 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 were there. Um, they they X-rayed me and sent me home after like three or four hours. Yeah, with with my brothers, it was like, "All right, it's on. We go over." Um, no, 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 no. This is what happened. So he got injured the night of, he was in a lot of pain and he was like, you know what? I think all I need to do is put a brace on it, take some painkillers. I'll be okay. I'll go in tomorrow. And then I woke up at like three or four in the morning and my sister was taking him like, no, he's in a lot of pain. So he went early in the morning and then I went and just chilled with him at the hospital all day. Yeah. And then it was like six or seven at night and he's like, Hey, I kind of just want to go home right now. And they're like, well, we're just still waiting for the uh, MRI machine to get ready. We've we've got you in in the queue, huh. and just kind of stringing them along, and then they kept him overnight. It was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, like why? He just needed a freaking MRI. Like, like they could have driven him. Like he could have probably found somewhere that was ready for an MRI and could have just been driven there. Like, yeah. But it's just so silly. And thing like one one of the other things is a lot of doctors um, need these tests in order to be able to correctly diagnose, but they themselves don't necessarily have an idea of how much it costs. Yeah, because they're operated independently. Like the the MRI company is a completely different entity in the hospital. Yeah, as the doctors are. Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting. But anyways, we've kind of I don't even know what they're talking about right now. I think they're still on COVID. Let's see what Biden's talking about. Someone just knock on your door. 
Yeah? We're recording. Where's my phone? Is it on the charger? I want to make sure it's on the charger. Oh, it's in my pocket. Okay, here's something that I wanted to talk about. Because they're talking about COVID right now. So there was the there was the thing that came out where um, he had said that he kind of downplayed the virus back in February to try not to cause panic. Everybody got up in arms about that. Um, what nobody talked about, and I'm surprised nobody talked about this, is when uh, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, came out and said the exact same thing regarding the masks at the beginning of the virus at the thing. He downplayed the necessity for the masks so there wouldn't be a run on it. Right. Like, like, and and even when um, this thing whole first started, I was even like, yeah, you might want to downplay it a little bit just so you don't have a mass panic. Um, yeah, because then panic puts stress on your infrastructure. Yeah, and then there's been a there's been an abnormal amount of of rhetoric just being thrown at him because oh yeah well like would you, like wouldn't you want to know the thing is like yeah I would but at the same time we've seen what happens during a mass panic all the toilet paper disappeared and we don't we don't <laughs> we still don't have clear info let's let's no. throw that out because dude how many times has the CDC gone back and forth back yeah. and forth on what they've said Fauci's done the exact same thing it's like we would have been better off just doing common sense stuff uh if you're at risk uh be smart about where you're going out to yeah if you are sick uh quarantine and if you're like on death's doorstep go to the hospital yeah like that's how it should have gone because a lot of people got infected that didn't matter i probably had it at one point i probably did too a lot of us probably had it but it, it didn't matter like it just sucks because i th- i think that we got just herded into this uh into this like whole thing where it's side conspiracy theorist against side believer in science and it's like no it didn't have to be that way like i can be i like i don't think it's a hoax and yeah it 200,000 deaths is no joke how many of those are actually covid i don't know how many of those it's comorbidity because covid just exacerbated you know, compli- it yeah yeah What's well, a, a really interesting number, and this one hasn't been thrown about by anybody either, is normally there's, what, 60,000, 70,000 people that die from the flu each year? Yeah. Last year, there was only seven. Ooh. As far as numbers reported, 7,000. In the U.S.? In the U.S. Yeah. And so, so that's also really interesting. There's been 200,000 deaths from COVID, but there's also been 65,000 less flu deaths this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that just kind of goes to say that some of them are being lumped together to help try to, I think, inflate the numbers. Well, yeah, of course they are, and especially because, like, still, there's so many things that could accelerate, you know, people yeah. having that type of issues. Like, nobody talks about stress. Stress accelerates a lot of those issues that people have, you know. But it's just, like, just because I question how somebody handles it doesn't mean that I don't think that 200,000 deaths is an absolute tragedy. It is. I think and it's. I think it's. I think it. Like, look at Italy. Italy got ravaged, and they're they're back up and running. Like, yeah. It did. Like, we didn't. We didn't have to be at this point where we're still figuring out like masks, no masks. Like, it, we're now what six or seven months into it, and the other day they made me go back into my car and grab a mask when I was at Vasa. Hmm. Like, 
because I had to wear one when I walked inside. Yeah, I've had a friend tell me about like, that. Like, that's going to do a damn thing <laughs> to stop COVID. But those people at Vasa, like, they're doing that because they, like, they're going to get fined if they don't have mask stuff up. Yeah. It's going to put them out of business. Like, no, but it's really funny because because it, it's you only have to wear a mask to go in and leave. You don't wear a mask when you're working out. Yeah, and what are they going to do? <laughs> what are they going to do if you're leaving? Like, all they're going to do is tell you to leave. Yeah, I, I'm leaving. <laughs> okay. It's like, just what, what, a compliance thing. It has nothing necessarily to do with the actual so health silly. of the people. It's just a compliance thing to uh, to uh, abide by the arbitrary rules in place. Yeah, that if, nobody knows whether or not it's. I mean. Well, and there's it's, there's it's a, a lot of misinformation too. Look at all the people that freaked out about schools. Schools, like, dude, children aren't dying of COVID. Like, it has a virtual death rate of zero among, uh, I think it's, like, up to 18 years old. Yeah. Is what it is. And, like, the American Pediatrics Association came out and they were like, we vehemently disagree with them shutting down schools because, A, it's not killing kids. B, it's lowering their quality of life because the school provides a lot of services that they're not going to get at home. How many kids depend on a meal? How many kids... No, no, here's, here's the scary... Well, here's the real scary part. Um... So this comes from my cousin, who's a PTA person uh, for Alpine School District, uh, which is one of the biggest school districts in Utah. Um, maybe maybe not Alpine. Maybe not Alpine. I can't remember. But this comes from my, my cousin, who's a PTA. Yeah. Um, they said that they worked really hard to try to make sure that every kid in their district had access to internet, a laptop, and a way to get online to be able to continue their learning last year when they shut the schools down. 60% of the entirety of the kids in the district didn't even log in once. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. 60% of kids didn't even log in once to finish their education last year. That's... That is scary. Like... That's our education just... Well, that's not just that. It's it. I think it exposes so much more than that. It exposes, especially dude, kids getting trafficked. You know how many kids because they go online and it's oh, like, well, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. But just oh my gosh, just I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that education is the most important thing that we can try to provide ourselves to better ourselves. Well, we've talked about it a lot on here. Yeah, yeah. There's um, so many things we wish we could change about the education. Yeah, system. and I I believe that if you want to tear down a fund, like if you want to tear down a a, a structure a, a, a system. And restart it from the ground up. It's the education system. Wholeheartedly, agree. wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, however, uh, the fact that sixty percent of their kids didn't even bother logging in to take their education seriously, which means that those that did, half of them probably even really paid attention. Well, and to be fair, how many of those kids were at home uh, unsupervised? True. Probably the vast majority of Probably them. the vast and majority. That wasn't fair either because then parents had to worry about, oh, do I get a sitter for my kid or do I have to stay home from work or I don't know. And, and a lot of people who are working from home, they don't have time to, like, they're being paid to work, not monitor their kid being online. <laughs> yeah. But but just saying, like, 20% of the entire student body of, of whatever district my cousin works in um, took their education seriously. And how many of those were, was it like, Oh, my mom's telling me that I need to go on. And do See, that. that's that's what being fair, being totally fair. I wouldn't have logged on. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I, I would have been I, like, I, "Sweet Call of Duty." <laughs> I might have been uh, a little bit less. I don't know. I was I was a pretty good kid when I was in high school. College is a different story. <laughs> uh, but 
um, that's kind of where I say twenty percent. Like, because the other, the other, so there's forty percent of the people actually logged in. So I'm guessing half of those kids they had their parents kind of holding their hand, yeah, kind of keeping them along, and then the other half uh, were students who were actually interested in their education and took it seriously. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Is twenty percent of that district were of kids that. Um, took their education seriously and actually tried to finish out the year strong. And that kind of makes sense because of that, of like the normal people that graduate high school, really only 20% go to college anyways. Yeah. Not to saying that college is, is, uh, the indicator, the of, indicator of life success. Yeah. It's not, I have, I have some friends who didn't go to college that are doing, killing it, killing it. Um, uh, but Man, I'm just still talking about coronavirus. <laughs> it's a big topic. It is. Um, but yeah, just just that 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 idea that that over half of the kids didn't even log in once. Oh, one thing Trump did mention though that Smarties like alcoholism's going up. All these like yeah, uh, Biden's closing his eyes. He's getting tired. He's dude, getting, depression. He's, he's, he's dude, getting sleepy. Dude, depression <laughs> stuff. Depression like that stuff's been terrible. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. V-shaped versus K-shaped. What the recovery. heck is a K-shape? That makes no damn sense. Oh, we figured out that he's not a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate the wealth distribution argument. I I I think I'm okay having that argument when it's with people that understand economics. Yeah. Because, dude. I, People will tweet out those things where it's like, if Jeff Bezos donated a thousand, gave a thousand. Well, no, it's just not that. The fact that he just said in the last six months the top one percent gained three hundred billion dollars. That's that's not entirely true. Well, that's that's the my, worth that's, of their that's companies. My that's my point. Yeah, the worth of their companies gained that much. Yeah, that's just a market shift. And it's not a it's not a liquid thing because yeah. if you control of a company's stocks, they have safeguards in place where you can't just dump them. All <laughs> like you can't. Otherwise, you would you would cause mass panic like yeah. they have a lot of rules like anti-dumping and, and of, rules and of course that those those top companies only were the ones because they were the only ones that could operate um because they had the resources available to maintain the arbitrary rules that covid brought one could make an argument that amazon was in a better place to compete because of the tax breaks that they got because how can you compete with amazon like that's true i mean Dude, a day, a day shipping for for Prime, <laughs> and they can they can cut costs literally all across the board. Nobody else can. Like, yeah, it's just like they have been enabled to do that. But not to mention they own forty percent of the internet. Yeah, and I mean, so they get a cut of all those DoorDash and and uh, Uber Eats and all those. Well, uh, they're fine too because deliveries. Well, in their business model, it's very little of it is based upon retail interactions like amazon web services is killing it yeah that's what i'm saying all those all those websites just think about netflix the entirety of netflix is actually hosted within amazon web services Wow. <laughs> so so all the people that stayed home the last six months to watch netflix amazon got a chunk of that all the people that ordered food uh through web-based services amazon got a chunk of that but, uh, but all the people that ordered stuff off amazon and have it delivered to their house amazon ordered a chunk off of that but it is a scary thing to talk about too because like Small business owners got shafted. Yeah, they did. Dude, family businesses that lost, like, people that have been in operation for 30, 40 years having to close their doors, like, this was the thing that put them under. I guarantee they had 
hundreds of things that could that you know they had to fight through and innovate for yeah during their times and you know what you don't go into a, like a family business or an entrepreneurial See, venture that's, that's you honestly you don't go into that for profits a lot of times no you go into it because, because you have a passion you have a passion and you want to do the business yourself yeah and you realize that that's worth more than some of the profits you would gain by taking a job somewhere else uh, so it's not fair for those people who operated in the green with not the highest profit margins, but just enough to get by. See, this and is what I think fair. the debate should be about today is is standing up for the little person. Because it is so hard to start a small business nowadays just because of government regulations in place and taxes and and all the other rules that they have to abide by that you almost need a law degree just to be able to even you have to start i mean i was uh, a buddy of mine just bought a house that i'm going to move in with and uh, he's got a fairly large lot and one of the ideas that he bought the house for was to build a garage i started looking up the city codes number one i couldn't even find the right city codes because of the nature of how utah's built where you have county level codes state level codes and then each little community has its own level of codes and then there's a thousand different cities within like four different blocks <laughs> um that finally by the time that I, I i found the code necessary to build a garage on his property it was still I needed a law degree just to be able to understand how big the structure could be. Do you know why? A lot of times people need legal representation for this stuff. Yeah. You can't just jump into it on your own because the lawyers are the people who have the time to go and dig for that stuff. <laughs> and then can understand it because it's all written in a different language almost. <laughs> yeah, I can't understand it So, But like, this is what the debate should be about right now. If you, if you really wanted to fight for the American people, the platform that you would win on would be, I want to reduce government regulation and government um, red tape to allow you to continue operating your business. Well, And, I, and, and that's, that's a great point because what was the solution that the government gave to small businesses? 1200 bucks or just... Uh, uh, they, well, no, it, no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't, no, a stimulus check wasn't it. No, it was, I'm just saying. It they, was sign up for this loan that we're going to just put everybody at gunpoint to hand out. So the SBA handed out all these loans to everybody. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the um, loan servicers, a lot of them didn't want to take them because one of the reasons why you offer loans is so you can make profits, right? Yeah. And the loans weren't that profitable to begin with. Yeah. So you're automatically forcing a company to not be profitable. But like off, even even in an industry that's that's regardless of of, uh, of a COVID situation, um, just the amount of government interference and regulation that you have to comply to makes it nearly impossible to make a profit as a business owner. Well, yeah, so the incentives then, to so that, start a business are so low right now. Uh, as as one who tried to start a business, I kind of spent the last few no months. There's no reason, yeah. Like the the amount of like in order for me to make like sixty grand a year. Which is around the average uh, U.S. It's like fifty-eight is the average U.S. household income. I'd have to make almost three hundred thousand dollars a year in my business, yeah, just to be able to pull out. And that's generously speaking. You might even have to make four or five hundred thousand. But then you, as a business owner, are now in a different tax bracket. So your tax, like you earn five hundred thousand dollars a year, when you're really only pulling out like sixty. Well, and that and that's the thing that that gets me is because the government solution for people was. Oh, you're a small business? Well, we're going to have this business loan that you don't have to pay back. But their their option wasn't businesses open back up so you can actually work. Like, people wanted to work. People didn't want to sit back and not work. Like, a lot of people who own those businesses because... Yeah. 
those loans that they had, they had to use them for payroll costs. That yeah. was it. And so a lot of these. But a part of the payroll is they couldn't lay anybody off. That was one of the qualifications of the loan. And a lot of these people don't have payroll. Like if you're a, if you're a sole proprietor or an independent yeah. contractor. Or things like that. You work for yourself. You're the only employee. Yeah. Like, you don't need employees to make your business strong. Like, in even places that did, it's like one or two employees at, at, at most. Yeah. You know, there's there's other expenses that, 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 that they needed. But the government was like, we'll take care of it. We've got you. It's like, no, 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 no. You let us compete. We'll figure it out. The private yeah. sector will normally figure out its problems better than the government. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. That's the frustrating thing. The government is like just consistently proves that they create more problems than what they solve, and the, the, the things that they solve, like the solutions that they bring up, they're not effective. Well, it's they're wasteful. It's it's just the nature of the political environment. Is is they don't necessarily want to solve the problems. They want to be able to uh, keep their donors happy or keep whoever really. Um, it, it, they well, it's interesting. If you look at if you compare the government to a business, it's like we need to keep our shareholders happy, right? Yeah. No, they don't. They don't need to keep us happy, and they don't need to turn a profit because, it, like, if I went and invested money, let's just say at this large corporation, and I wouldn't buy their shares if they if they had you know their their earnings meeting and they're like uh, we posted record losses this year, I'd be like pulling stocks. Nope, <laughs> nope, gone. The government, like, that's the opposite. The government, we're, we're stuck. We have to pay them. Yeah. We can't. They're not bound by any rules of making sure that they're compliant with our needs See, and it's, demands. It, but it's the it's the power play. They don't – yeah, you're right. And that's the way that it should be viewed, that the, that the individual in the seat it doesn't matter. It's the seat and representation that matters. But the problem is the individual in the seat is the one that's competing for votes and compete, competing to stay in the seat. So yeah. rather than try to figure out – what's best for the public person they're trying to they still have their own self-interests in heart and they just want to be able to be reelected um and that's i think where part of the problem is yeah it's like my goal is to be reelected and not to just provide the i mean best we have a perfect service. example here that joe biden's been in government for 47 years i mean <laughs> he's made a career out of that he, he paid my current youtube video that i'm that i'm almost finished editing thank goodness finally that's one of the things I talk about on there is, um, you know, Biden has been around for so long. Why Why would I think that he would solve problems that have been around for a very long time? Yeah. Why would I trust him to do it? Because it, he's found the formula that keeps him in office. And not just, you know, even that statement alone saying he's been in government for a long time is almost misleading because he's been in very influential positions. Yeah. Uh, was it Senate Majority Leader? Uh, he was a Senate Majority Leader. Yeah, Senate Majority Leader during the Clinton era. Uh, I thought that was. Uh, or he was. Oh no, I was Speaker of the House. Never mind. I thought that was Newt Gingrich. But I was Speaker of the House. Yeah, yeah. So no, he was in the because he's been a senator for a long time. So yeah. I think he was, uh, um, Senate Majority Leader. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Vice President. Yeah. Hello. Like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could debate that the Vice President position is just purely. Um, like a position of uh, uh, depends who you, depends who you have in there. I mean, yeah, I guess Dick Cheney kind of really was the Dick Cheney. <laughs> that dude ran that <laughs> ran that crap. Yeah, Joe was just kind of like more of a sideshow. Yeah. Well, I don't know the whole Ukraine stuff. That's a touchy subject. Yeah. They haven't touched that yet. I'm waiting for them. They'll they'll probably try to steer away from it, but I yeah. guarantee they'll come back to Ukraine stuff. I oh. mean, Trump got impeached over it. Yeah, and. 
Joe hasn't had to be responsible for anything. Uh, it, the, it's so funny because when you bring up that argument about Hunter Biden and, you know, they're like, oh, we inve- we investigated him and we didn't find anything that could be deemed as a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah, duh, because you investigated it. Like, <laughs> it's not an unbiased third party doing the investigating. Yeah. Are they still talking about the economy? Let's see. Oh, there we go. Speaking of Ukraine. Billions of dollars. Uh, That's not. <laughs> okay, so Biden just went on record saying that the fact that Hunter Biden had three and a half million dollar receipts from the um, first lady of Ukraine, that's not true. Yeah, he's saying everything's not true, even though there's been multiple times they've shown it. Yeah, literally. Well, literally, he got that board position with that with that energy company like right out the gate. <laughs> this is painful to watch. Yeah. People lie under oath all the time. Wow, Joe's really struggling hard not to just pu- reach over and punch him across I the face. I don't blame him, dude. Trump's I don't just either. a babbling child. Yeah. That's what I used to do when we'd get in arguments at home. I would get, I would sneak in any little jab I could. Yeah. Your family also got sued by the state of New York because you were literally uh, embezzling funds from your from your charity. Do you think they'll talk about uh, the the uh, the countries that have moved to uh, recognize um, uh, Jerusalem? As no, the capital no, Israel. no, they're not going to talk they about won't. that. They won't. I mean, that's pretty momentous. That's that's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, because those countries are smart. They realize there's money to be made in Israel. Wow. He's, Holy shout cow. out to Chris Wallace. He's yelling at them to, to stop yelling. Yeah, because we're 50 minutes in right now, and bam. Wow. Great moderator. He yelled at them to shut up. Both of them, not just Trump, but like and Biden. I, I will say, he, I will say Biden has been very professional. He has been. He, one he, thing I do want to say though, I feel somewhat like because Biden is a politician by nature, right? Yeah. I don't know how crappy of a person he is outside of that. I, like, he's got a really inspiring, inspiring story. 
because he had a speech impediment for such a long time. Yeah. Got bullied a ton when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, he also lost his son to cancer. Like, yeah, it's tough. I mean, he like part of he's one of those people where I think that if he wasn't in that type of position, I think he would be a pretty well, this pretty cool this dude. this is what this is his third or fourth time he's run for president. Yeah, and uh, and really. Um, only, I mean, it's, it's hard to just to say that he really only got the position number one because people liked him as a meme. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Obama Biden bro memes yeah. that, that came about. Um, and the fact that, that he was the one that, uh, fit the democratic party platform well enough to, to, to represent their, their uh their uh committee or what am i looking their their agenda no their not platform? their agenda just just who they are is what the because that's just one thing that a lot of people don't quite understand is that the republicans and the democrats are actually independent political organizations that are not necessarily affiliated or even under constitutional law right um I mean, oh, besides the fact that we're all under constitutional well, we, well, law, but I mean, just they they aren't a part of government. They well, are just we organizations. Really, we didn't even really have like a set in stone two party system. Yeah, to like they're, they're organizations just like the NRA is an organization. The NRA could be easily just become a political party just as easily as the Republicans or the Democrats. Yeah, and so these are literally the chairman or the the faces of those organizations that are now being presented to us as a as a potential oh, presidential. He's, t- he's talking the the protests right now. Oh, he's talking about the 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 church that that. Now I will say that bugs me, that whole story of of uh, Trump clearing out places. Trump clearing out places to take the, the picture in front of the church. That really does bug me. Um, ah, racism. Here we go. Oh, I don't want to talk about this. You know what's very? I do a little experiment every now and then. Well, not every now and then. Whenever there's somebody over here at the house that's somebody I don't know. You know, you, you strike up conversation and you do all mm-hmm. that stuff. And then, you know, things will naturally sway into, you know, the world around us. And I'll just, you know, ask a question. Okay, so hold on, hold on. Let's see. Biden just said that that Trump thinks that he's the savior of African-Americans. I'm kind of curious. Okay, so why should they trust Trump to deal with racism? Oof. That's actually true. It is true. Um, Everything he's Trump, saying is Trump, true. Right Trump now. just said that he's doing best amongst African Americans than any Republican has ever, and that's, that's. And let me change my statement. Not everything he's saying is true right now. Like, yeah. I wouldn't say Biden has directly treated black people horribly, but his poli- no. his policies have negatively affected them. So, so this is an interesting thing um, that I've been kind of looking into because this this whole racist debate. I mean, we could spend a month trying to trying to decompress and unpack that issue. Um, but, uh, it is, it is something to say that the unemployment rate among now pre COVID, the unemployment rate amongst African Americans was the lowest that it ever was. 
it ever has been. That's that's something that that you that we can't necessarily ignore. Right. Um, uh, the other half of that is is um, I, I, I I don't have complete thoughts about this yet. I'm still working through them. But you have the this is a long two minute segment. Though. <laughs> but but you have yeah. the the thing that LBJ said. I can't remember exactly even what LBJ did. Um, when he was running, but he said, "Like I'll have the the black community voting for me for the next voting Democrat for the next sixty years," um, and I think that's that that has been the tradition. Is I I, I wish I knew this. Better, you know what? Here's but. here's the thing that bugs me about racism, right? So this is going back to the thing that I was talking about. So I'll mention I'll, if we have somebody new at the house and we strike up conversation, I'll I'll ask, "What's the biggest problem we have in the country right now?" I'm telling you, I have yet to receive a different answer than racism. Seriously? Racism you know, racism is not the biggest pro- Like, what evidence do we have to say that it is the biggest problem? Well, do we well, have, well, hold do we on, have, hold on, hold on. Well, hold on one second. Okay. Do we have racially based killings that outweigh any other, like, death on the, uh, like, in the grand spectrum of things? No, we do not. We Like, that. that is not happening. It's the, like, I do think that the system is, is not entirely racist but it does uh favor putting blacks and latinos in prison over whites and there is an incentive for for blacks and latinos to to commit crimes because a lot of times the towns that they grow up in are not solid they're not strong uh you know that's why their schools half the time they don't get the funding they need because it's locally funded and it's just this terrible cycle that you talked about where it's yeah. Democrat policies, putting things in place that keep people poor, inefficiently lo- uh, you know, allocating tax funds to help those communities in the way that they need. Mm-hmm. And it's all about virtue signaling. Oh, well, well, you're an Uncle Tom if you vote Republican. Uh, what? <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. That um, doesn't automatically make you an Uncle Tom if you vote Republican. I'm surprised Uncle Tom hasn't been given a uh, the same level of, of racist nomenclature and banned words as, as other racial slurs. Well, it's like racism <laughs> isn't like the... Like, there's more things that contribute to racism than like, you know, it's like hate, prejudice, fear. You know, things like that contribute to racism. So, but, here, but, but like discriminatory things right now the biggest problem that we have right now it's like it, it's class discrimination is what it is i mean a lot of it like poor whites have have it really bad compared to you know well not you know compared to speaking but like white people still have a really hard time living right now like in, they in, get in shot poor by communities police. in poor they communities get, yeah in poor communities they get shot the common by denominator is is poor communities yeah that's what it is like yeah now given if you have black people in rich neighborhoods yeah you, they can definitely get uh, harassed. Uh, Nick Wright, he's a he's an analyst that I have hated for a long time, but I gained a lot of respect for him. I found out that he has an adopted son. Um, well, he's not te- like adopted as in he married, uh, she had a son, he adopted him, so, you know, mm-hmm. same last name. And he was talking about how worried sick he was because his son got um, pulled over by a cop just while he was walking around in, the, in his own yeah. neighborhood yeah. and was harassed and he was feared like he was in tears because he's like that's my son and I'm, I have to worry about him being harassed and all these things and yeah. what if he comes home in a body bag like it's a scary thing to think about like those societal things the government can't fix that that has to be like the American people are fixing it and if we are going to have the government do anything I think we need to have whistleblower laws or people yeah. who call in because they're the ones that 
that paint this picture that black person is committing a crime or black person's dangerous. So cops come in, guns ablazing when they find out, oh crap, it's not wrong. And those people who who cried wolf, they're not held accountable. Yeah. They should be. Those yeah. people are the ones who really need to be pinned to the wall, and so do bad police officers. But yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. It's not entirely like racism isn't the entire root of every single problem we have in this country. See, but that's that's the that's the current debate is is that definition of what racism actually is. No, racism historically is you you esteem one race over another. See, that's the historical definition, but that's not the necessary current. That's not current. No, that's not that's the current not definition. Current. And that's where a lot of the miscommunication is happening from. Uh, is this this redefinition of terms almost? But it's not. It, it is a redefinition, but it's not entirely a redefinition. Um, but it's a problem. But it is a problem because because people can't understand each other unless they're talking on the same grounds. Yeah. Uh, and 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 are using the same language. And right now they're not, which is where a lot of the conflicts coming from. Because each side gets to determine how, what nomenclature they use. Yeah, it's just the tricky nature of language. However, I, I want to make a point that I was thinking about today um, about about kind of racism tendencies and, and virtue signaling specifically so so my experience this is anecdotally speaking i i don't i mean i can't make any definitive statement blanket statements but anecdotally speaking uh my experience has shown that a lot of my more quote-unquote educated friends college educated friends um that even that can be debated uh <laughs> uh college educated friends who spent time in college uh arguably getting um more social degrees rather than technical degrees uh, all end up in this camp of, of more left-leaning, more, more liberal thought. Uh, I've been trying to figure out why that's the case. Um, that's kind of the question I've been going through. Uh, and, it, and it stems from kind of the racist ideas too because that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big point. Um, but a lot of those degrees and that, that camp, the liberal arts camp in, in the university, in the, ed- in the education sphere, uh, deals a lot with human emotion and empathy. Um, and empathy has been one of those words that has just been thrown around nonstop for like the last two or three months. And I don't think really people understand what they mean even when they say empathy. Right. Uh, it just is a nice sounding word that makes people feel comfortable. When empathy is actually very, very uh, raw. It's a, it's, a, um, it's a curious emotion that... That very few people actually even know how to articulate properly. Uh, um, Brene Brown is is an expert on empathy, and she has several hours of lectures that kind of deal and talking uh, how you can actually experience empathy and what that actually looks like. Um, What it gets commonly confused with is sympathy. Um, And I think more of what is being shown as part of virtue signaling is sympathy rather than empathy. Uh, And the big way that she describes the difference between those two is empathy or sympathy is, is going across somebody who they see in a big hole and saying, Oh, I'm sorry you're in a big hole. And then just kind of walking about, they acknowledge that the problem is there, but they don't really do anything about it to fix it. They just sympathize with you that you're in a big hole. (laughs) Empathy has to deal more with a person who's down in the hole with you, who has been in the hole before, and then can help carry you out. Yeah, um, and that's kind of the big difference between sympathy and empathy, as as Brene Brown explains it. And so, what I'm going at is, in these social science, uh, prof- or, uh, educational domains, um, they they research all of these these really really hard hard deals. Social work. I mean. Just, I think social workers are some of the most underrated people in our society because of how much they see 
uh, and then have to experience. They literally see the worst of the worst of people. Yeah. Um, and I think if there is any person who can uh, exhibit characteristics of true empathy, it's a social worker. Um, but but where I'm going at is they see these this horrible, they see the horribleness that the human race can be. Right. Um, and so they end up developing this empathy and the sympathy and recognizing how bad it is. And as a result of that, uh, they feel that they need to help atone for the disgraces of humanity. And this is where the origins of virtue signaling starts with. Um, by seeing the worst of humanity in American history or in world history, um, they feel that they have to be the people who can try to change the world by acknowledging these weaknesses and then being able to overcome them. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so that's kind of where this, I, this, 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 these ideas of virtue signaling start from. Now, if you like me and you kind of go through school in a more technical fashion, you don't necessarily see that, that side of humanity. You more see the, the potential that your, your world provides you um, without necessarily looking at the costs. Uh, and, and so then you don't necessarily develop that same type of, of emotional connection to the rest of, of humanity, so to speak. You more see people as things. You more see the world as things, more as objects, and are able to then take advantage of the resources and supplies given to you so that you can try to build the best thing or make the best thing or try to innovate and create new ideas and, and, and uh, progress all of humanity to a, to a more technical state, so to speak. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit. No, no, that makes sense. And that's one thing that I've kind of realized in my own struggles in life. And it's like, you know, I, a lot of people will try to think, well, somebody has it worse than me. I need to figure out, okay, well, I, I can't squander these opportunities because there's people other than me who suffer more than I do. And so I can't, uh, I can't, I can't be unhappy or I can't have my own issues. But I feel like us not being able um, to, you know, to think in ways like, look at me and I'm losing my train of thought too. <laughs> no, but it's, but it go like, you bring up a great point with empathy in that it's, it's understanding that you've walked in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Or had something similar. Yeah. Um, because it's experience. But that's part of the problem nowadays is that we don't value each other's experiences. Well, your, see, your I, would, I would disagree with that. But, I, well, think about it. Like, that's, ver like automatically you can't say anything about uh like what's wrong with the black community if you're white you can't because apparently your opinion doesn't value and that's that's where privilege comes in okay I see what because you're saying you now. grow you grew up rich you don't understand it and you can't have a good solution because you don't understand what they went through so it automatically dis discredits people on so many different levels because they didn't entirely go through what somebody else did or because simply because your skin color isn't the same like that's kind of racist, but, um, and, and that's kind of the difference between, I think, sympathy and empathy is you're trying to be sympathetic with a very, very specific, uh, situation where somebody who has empathy says, you know what? I may not have gone through this exact same hole that you're going through now, yeah. but I did go through this hole and this is, was my experience through that hole. Um, take what you want with it, but that's how I got out of that hole. Right, and because, like, every human... And that's, that's more empathy rather than... Yeah, and, and, like, empathy is such a great thing to understand because, like, 
we get so bogged down with trying to attribute who had it worse or who who was more disadvantaged that we lose sight that every single human being by nature has to go through hard times yeah. and has to go through difficult and it's things. a perceived hard times yeah uh, and that perception is individual in nature uh, I love yeah. it I always I tell this story to everybody um, is yeah you cannot know entirely what somebody goes through because it's independent and individual um, but the person who's going through that thing, it may be the hardest thing that they've ever had to experience in their whole life. Now, granted, from an outside perspective, it may look trivial and simple, but from their own personal perspective, it could be as hard as cancer or, or something like that. My cousin um, had an interesting experience. She had two extremely premature babies, yeah, um, like 24 and 25 weeks. Like one and a half pounds was how much my cousin weighed when, when they were born. Um, and she hates the when people say i can't imagine the hardness that you must have gone through with that uh that is so hard i i'm so like i could never do something like that because that's not empathy that's looking upon oneself and saying i could not go through the same problem that you're going through rather than acknowledging oh that sucks like how like how can we help you through this or like how can we um, look and address the problem and then get ourselves out of this out of this rather than look at their problem and then just relate it back to yourself in some way shape or form um, and so that's kind of I think where that comes from is how can you know what this person goes through so I don't have to know what that person goes through but how can we go through it together right and that's the difference I think between sympathy and empathy um, and I could be totally getting this wrong uh, uh, it's been a while since I've, I've um, read Brene Brown's thing on that but if any person has the right to be able to define what that means I think it's her because uh, I, I like she is the lead leading expert on that she even calls herself a shame researcher which well, kind of deals with this whole thing well and I think sometimes too I don't think we're equipped to properly help people in the like more of a less of like a policy than more of just like how we deal with each other um, yeah. you know so good example I'm not going to name names but somebody messaged me I don't know probably a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago or something like that um and like had the best of intentions just like you know just just saying like uh I'm worried about you and um like that was it and um you know they didn't really have any like uh, back, like, it was just a, like, an assumption, purely, like, yeah, like, I, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not in the best state mentally, physically, emotionally, in terms of my health, but it was frustrating because all it was said was just, like, you have a problem, and there wasn't any type of meaningful solution given, or even yeah. soliciting help, it was just, like, uh, you have a problem, <laughs> hope you're doing okay it's like what <laughs> like i'm gonna cut you off if you don't propose and like i don't have time for dead weight in my life yeah, yeah. like if, if you're not gonna propose something worthwhile like to help me out then great and like i'll, I'll take any advice i can yeah even if it's hard, something hard that i don't want to hear I'll, yeah. I'll take it um it was just frustrating and like the individual when i called him out on it got super butthurt about it because they feel that they well, – I'm generalizing, and I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, but I think it does kind of stem back to that, that recognition 
that as a part as a member of the human race they feel that they are are lumped into the to the atrocities that we've committed and in order to make themselves I, I don't want to say that in order to make someone who feels that way um, feel better they have to try to figure out what they can do as an individual to, to uh, um, I'm messing up my words right now I I gotta think for a second I got too many things in my head okay anyways what are they talking about right now let's see uh, he was talking about them inheriting a recession so I don't know uh, if it's exactly about economics or if it's just uh, you know speaking to his record uh, he's still yelling he's yelling at him Oh wow. Oh wow. Why don't you observe what your campaign agreed to with the Brown rule, okay, sir? Never keeps his Okay, things like that. Yeah, it, You're in trouble. The you, government did that. The government made us worse off. So so Biden just said that the the rich the people have just, made more, and now yeah. you're in trouble because they have your money. It's like that's no, not helping anything. No, that's not. No. Yes, they, I'm I'm upset that maybe that my money has gone, but I don't care that they have more money because they played the game, and the game is now working more towards their favor. But by you pointing at me and telling me that I'm in a horrible position, um, alienates. 70 to 80 percent of the people who aren't necessarily in a, in a horrible position and now they feel like um and it wasn't just trump who shut like trump himself didn't shut down the economy it's all these other talking heads all these other virtue signalers and all these people that couldn't just come to like some good solution for this to take place like yeah and like like yes like epidemiology is not easy but like we're the by far the worst at this right now. Like no other country has had as many infections or deaths as we do. And we're still having issues with it. And other countries have already solved it and are moving on. Yeah. And a lot of it's because the government has just keeps, just keeps intervening with these just half-assed well, policies well, that don't work. That's we talked. Okay. So I'm going to kind of reference another podcast that we did. We, yeah. we briefly touched on, um, COVID, I think with Stuart and, yeah, myself. it was right when it was starting. Right when it was starting. It was right 1st of March. No, it was literally the day they closed schools. It was March yeah. 18th. I remember this. Yeah. Um, we briefly touched on it because I, I actually even remember saying that I didn't think the schools would, would shut down, but they ended up doing it. Um, that I I literally thought at the beginning of this year that Trump was going to get reelected in a landslide just because the Democratic Party didn't have anything to be able to to combat with them. With him and with his his campaign, the economy was was booming, everything was in positives, lowest unemployment numbers ever, highest economy numbers ever. Um, it just it just did not look like it's in the cars. And then boom, you have this massive uh, economic, I won't call it a recession because it hasn't been proven that yet, but a massive economic hiccup that has caused unprecedented um, highest unemployment since Great Depression. I mean, but even then, you can't. Uh, uh, 
Yes, for, on a pure raw data, yes, highest unemployment since the Depression, but it's not the same level of unemployment because at the same time they then generated another 5 million new jobs and that went down by 20% yeah. <laughs> a week later, whereas yeah. the Great Depression lasted 10 years. So, I mean, we don't know the ramifications of this quote-unquote depression until... Well, the depression was also, I mean, it was further because of poor government... The government continuously made decisions that made the depression. But anyways, anyways, worse. Like, because in, a lot of the people look back on it and they're like, it didn't need to last that long. Yeah, but anyway, stopping with yeah. the economic debate, I'm just specifically talking from a political debate. Yeah. Um, that that was a, like a, a golden goose that was given to the Democratic Party to be able to finally attack um, the the Republican campaign, and they get and gave them a shot. Yeah. Um and. Because they were in shambles. They they, they were in were. shambles. They were they were the laughing joke. Uh, I mean, they were the laughing stock of everybody. Because yeah, it's like okay, it seems like your voter base is really high on Bernie Sanders. Oh oh <laughs> oh oh okay. He so he wins the Iowa caucuses. He wins a couple states, and then they're like, oh nope, sorry, we want Joe Biden instead. Yeah, but anyways, okay, bye. Um, and so now I just think that the 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 with with. The way that the media is organized and the way that um, the the educational or the academic um, parts of the country are organized, it's, it's all heavily left-leaning, that they saw this as an opportunity to finally get Orange Man out of office because that's what this has all been about. Right. Um, anybody who considers themselves an intellectual, uh, a, a, a liberal intellectual, I should say, um, uh, believes that Trump is an illegitimate president. They believe that um, because of the flawed nature of the Electoral College and the, the, and the way that our country is set up in an electoral system, um, Trump was elected in an illegitimate way because it did not reflect the, the populist majority of the people. Right. And they that have- can be taken multiple different ways. Like, because, you know, I have, a, I have a good friend that talked about winner takes all being unfair. Yeah, because well, sense. Um, but uh, let, me, let me finish yeah, my thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, ever since then, they've been trying to figure out a way to to recognize that illegitimacy in every sh- way, shape, or form, whether that's through impeachment, um, through the Russia uh, trials, through Comey, his, yeah, through Comey, through Stormy um, Daniels. <laughs> yeah, they have been trying to find anything to delegitimize his presidency since day one. Um, and so when the coronavirus came into play, uh, it was a way to, that they felt they could finally fight back and have a potential opportunity to be able to um, win the next election. Because they, they, I, I, I totally believe that they were going to lose the next election. Uh, and so because of that intellect, the, the intellectual community is somewhat left-leaning, um, they have just st- steered into the into the skid of, 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 of activism that they need to do anything at all costs to be able to get him out of president out of it because he's an illegitimate president because everything that, that he has done has, has number one messed with their agenda. Number two, because he was illegitimate just makes it worse because all the stuff that he has passed since he's become president is they just see as illegitimate because yeah, not my president. Yeah. Um, and has just destroyed their quote unquote democracy. Um, and so they are reaching this point of irrational, uh, at all cost type mentality that they have to do everything possible in order to get this man out. I mean, we saw right after the 2016 election that both Facebook and Google and YouTube all said, we can't let this happen again. 
um, they have to control the narrative, they have to control the story, they have to control the rhetoric to be able to prevent someone as radical as, as Trump to be able to get into office again. Uh, and I think we're just seeing with, with the coronavirus, it was able to provide an opportunity to be able to 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 put a chink in the armor of that. That's a great point. And something that I think plays along with that is that whether it's Democrats or whether it's just like, you know, uh, you know, rhinos. Right. Yeah. Republicans in name only. Right. Or it's these deep establishment people. They helped empower those mechanisms yeah. of people being able to, you know, help control the system, things that helped benefit them, having a large government power. Like, if you're in business, government can create so many barriers to entry to help protect your industry. Yeah. Like, it's it's a, it's out. It's just incredible. I mean, take a look at the nuclear industry compared to the oil and gas industry and how many barriers and entry it is to actually so many and like take care of there's them. overwhelming evidence that nuclear power could be like the absolute best thing for us yeah but no there's there's too many re- there's too many regulations for it um and so like the people that that benefit the most from these deep establishment things they don't like Donald Trump because he's a wild card. Yeah. It's not about him being a Republican because a lot of stuff that he's passed was not Republican agenda yeah. based. I, I will say he has gotten rid of that government red tape um, to allow some some industries to to thrive, um, specifically oil and gas in some instances. Um, I would like to see more nuclear. But anyways, kind of going back to to. Um, oh, I think I lost my train of thought again. Well, I want to see where they are right now. We've got about 10, 10 minutes left to, until it ends. All right, so we're talking about the environment right now. Are we talking about cow farts? <laughs> oh, they, they actually shut his mic off. Oh no, no, never mind. He was he was just mouthing it. That would be so funny. I'd love it if they shut off his mic. Like let him make his point. Well, they're getting all this stuff organized. I do have to say, I'm impressed that Biden has stayed coherent this long. Yeah. He hasn't had a chance to say anything though. The, the visible frustration on his face and on Chris Wallace's is just, I feel for him. I just saw a post on Facebook that said, this is worse than Scott's tots from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would have to agree. Um, this, is, this is cringe. Like, Scott, yeah, Scott's tots is one of the only episodes that I'll actually fully skip completely <laughs> because I don't want to watch it. It hurts. It hurts. It and, hurts. And this is painful. This is painful. Um, and this is just this is just political. Th- uh, um, rhetorical crap slinging. Well, especially with science-based, like heavily based science things, like. No, uh, this isn't just about the coronavirus. This is just. Well, I mean, they're talking about the environment right now, and it's like, like, well, if government funds. If a government funds a study that fits their initiative a lot of time, like, like the paper trail going into science a lot of times is something that people don't talk about and they don't scrutinize enough. Like, 
but then you're de- you're dubbed a conspiracy theorist if you don't believe. But it's like the government takes so much of our taxes to fund research for things that well we just need to make sure it uh, actually works. It's like well n- no, there's a lot of evidence that things work, but like because we have heavy regulation standards, well, well or, or bias or like biased people. Like I don't think the money's the problem. But the the I don't, problem I, is that people have actually kind of uh, lost what it means to actually do valid primary research. Now, a lot of this stuff that's being presented as quote-unquote science uh, is is secondary or tertiary research. Like, very, right. very, very little primary research actually gets done. Yeah. Um, and uh, because it's expensive. It's expensive and it takes a long time. And there may only be a thousand people on this planet who actually knows how to do the statistical analysis legitimately to a point where they can actually be able to make definitive statements uh, in, a, in a scientific study. Um, the The quality of, of, of the scientific journals has been declining rapidly, and this is actually a catastrophe that nobody talks about. Uh, as someone who actually does spend some time reading scientific journals and studies and, and experiments, um, Nearly 70 to 80 percent of all studies get thrown out because of a flaw in their experimentation process. Um, whether that's just not be and not outlining the experiment properly, not documenting the results properly, not even um, being able to re- reproduce the experiment, making the experiment reproducible. The, 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 the standard to create a scientific theory is so high that. Um, we have we have muddied what it actually means to create a scientific theory because it has to be a reproducible um, experiment and that just doesn't happen and so a lot of these studies that get thrown around are just purely statistical analysis based on arbitrary gathered data that they didn't even gather um, they just they, they just look up a bunch of data from databases they put out surveys that are Surveys are the worst way to gather data. But One thing that is coming to mind, though, it's almost good that we do have such a high level, though, for theories because yeah, but the, the, second, is- the second that you get something into being a theory, it's not going to be like that's almost like the level of indisputable now. Like that yeah. is a standard. Nothing's ever going to change this. And we move on because theory and science is different than what we use in like the, the normal, you know, yeah. but- oh, it's only a theoretical argument versus in science. Like theory is like the highest level you can have. That's that's like you're not going to challenge it anymore. Like the theory of, of gravity or relativity, like yeah. things like that. Like it's not disputed anymore. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's the difference between theory and law. You're kind of more talking about a law. Theory gets to a law, but it has to deal with reproduction of an experiment to recreate the results that have been found. And through the iterations of those experiments, you can then define what is a scientific law. There are very, very, very few real scientific laws. Law of gravity is one. But even then, there's so many theoretical parts about gravity that it's hard to explain. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is all these quote-unquote studies that get released by BuzzFeed or CNN or, or Fox or all these things, sci- new scientific studies, 90% of them are just... Oh, I can, I can attest to that. Totally, totally flawed i'll read the studies that they'll post i'll go through and read them and like i am not scientifically minded my major's not even remotely close to being related to science to any type of science field whatsoever i can tell you they're bullcrap when you go through them (laughs) because the art it's funny though is like half the time the purpose of the of the study doesn't even support what the article like the point that the article is trying to make they just pull it out of left field like 
there, there's nothing that there's like no correlation between the two and and even like the data that they pull from it and stuff like that like is buried under so many things like there was a, a it was either time or i forget which publication it was they posted something about uh hydroxychloroquine studies that they yeah. did in brazil yeah and uh it was about people who were like literally like about to die yeah and they put it in a study about hydroxychloroquine being ineffective for public use, like general use for everyone. Yeah. But it's like the study wasn't talking about general use. It was talking about people who were gravely ill. Yeah. So the studies get made. Number one, a study is a very, very hyper-focused uh, purpose. And then the people who look at these studies then try to apply that to other things because they just don't want to put in the time. Because because of the nature of the 24-hour news cycle, and they have to be instantaneous in responding to any sort of... Uh, uh, any sort of um, hot topic issue at the time, they don't have the time to vet this this information, these studies. Now, have you heard about the people who have like tried to get or tried to get reputable journals to republish parts of of Hitler's Mein Kampf um, in their academic <laughs> journals by replacing some of the words with new current buzzwords? Like you can look this up. This is this actually happened not too long ago. There was a group of people who were trying to vet the legitimacy of a of a very of a, of a somewhat reputable psychological journal, um, who's supposed to be able to publish these these uh, valid valid reports, valid studies, and they they did. They took excerpts of of Hitler's Mein Kampf. Uh, replaced some of the words with new hot topic buzzwords, um, and then submitted it for publication, and it was published. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the publisher just, like, control f Like, <laughs> all right, does it have this? Yep, does it have this? Okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it just goes to show that... I, I read something on Facebook once, too, where someone was criticized, like, like, oh, you don't have the right to criticize these scientific minds, the scientific absolute truth, because you don't, you're not trained enough. You don't have the research capabilities that they do. Yeah, that's always seems to be the number one attack. Yes, yeah. um, I've met a lot of these people. Heck, I am one of these people. The only difference between a, uh, an armchair researcher and uh, a scientific researcher is the access to which databases they can look at. Yeah. Um, now, granted, there may be some other trainings involved in knowing where to go and look, but armchair research is is very, very, very similar to actual scientific research, uh, at least in current um, fields, unless you get down into the nitty-gritty primary data-gathering research. Now, primary research is completely different from all these other studies, statistical analysis studies that are being published because they actually do the hard legwork right. in gathering the data themselves, except right. it's expensive and it takes a long time, so nobody does it. That's why they depend on funding half the time. Yes, and I totally agree that they should be funded to do that, um, whether that's through government funding or private means, but it cannot come with strings attached to it. You have to be able to do the do the Ooh, data. Ooh, stuff. Ooh, Chris Wallace just brought up mainland voting, which it's oh. at an hour and a half right now, which I'm anxious to see where they go with this because this was only supposed to go until 8.30. I thought it was like three hours. I might have read it wrong on Google. Take a gander. Going to take a gander here. See, now this, this is actually a valid point. Um, they're they're hoping for this mail-in voting this mail-in voting thing to happen. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on it. Um, however, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot because if they push for mail-in mail-in voting, 
um, there's a lot of lot of uh, uh, qualifications that come with having a valid mail-in vote, and I think you have to. Well, no, no, the, just the the nature of how it, how the ballot is filled out. Like if they forget one thing, whether they forget to write their signature, if they forget to date it right, if they put it in the mail too late, there are so many things that they have to do in order to be, to be a valid vote. That I believe over half. Well, probably not half, but I believe a significant number of mail-in votes are going to be invalidated because the they're going to be just not filled out correctly. Well, and you also have human error that goes into it, too. That's what I'm saying, them. is like, these, these human errors. It's just, yeah. Well, and on top of that, too, what does that represent? Like, I would rather fill out an app. Like, what, like I would rather have <laughs> something where, like, make an app for people to vote. Majority of people have access That's to tricky. smartphones. Now, I, I think there should be a new way to do this, but... Um, given the the potential nature of, of so so we need to like I agree with you there should be an app for voting there should be some electronic if my simple... bank if my bank can wire like if if the if the IRS sends me a bill that I need to pay them money like for my taxes or something right I can have the money wired to them no problem yeah. they they get my money quick if they can take my taxes that quickly they can take a vote that quickly <laughs> so it's it's a tricky subject. Um, uh, the the problem is like we need to define who the most trustworthy guy in America is and just give him the keys to the votes. <laughs> Elon Musk. Elon Musk. No, no, I don't. I Joe don't Rogan. Joe Rogan, maybe. <laughs> Joe Rogan, just be like, this is so stupid. You know what? No, none of you are president. You all, no, you all suck. <laughs> Speaking of which, Joe Rogan would not be like. I, I love it how like they're talking about like Donald Trump was like, I'd love to go on Joe Rogan. Uh, dude, Rogan would like just rage quit. <laughs> he would rage quit on that. Could you imagine he would he, like him cussing out President Trump? Because he does that to his own guests if they yeah. get out of line. Like, yeah, it'd be so freaking funny. Oh, uh, here they are yelling again. All right, when are they going to do closing remarks? So I just checked it and said from nine to ten thirty Eastern time. Okay, yeah. So we're we're ten thirty Eastern time. Yeah, we're ten thirty nine right now. But they probably put in some like extra this, this guy's gonna have to hit the bar afterwards and get seriously drunk for trying to uh i'm um, a fan of chris wallace yeah trying to moderate these guys i'm a big fan of his he's doing a he's pretty fair. good job he's a fair dude yeah like i know he comes from fox news but i think he's he, he's being very fair with this historically he has been somebody who is not afraid to go after the president Oh, he's still yelling at them to shut up and stay calm and actually be respectable. This is going to bite Trump. He's talking about a potential fraudulent election. That's going to come and bite him. And then him not accepting the results. Yeah. Dude, what if he pulls a sheave? 
Order 66. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Unlimited power. I got my concealed carry last month. It's wise. <laughs> For this exact reason. If there's a contentious election. Because of people riot. Yeah. No, I think we'll be fine in Utah. But. He's, lo- uh, he's, he's dropping words. That's not true. There's always been issues with 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 counting votes. Uh, what happened with Bush and Gore in Florida? It was just so close. It was hard to count. Well, they had to recount. I mean, how many days? Well, they did it actually take them? didn't. Didn't they? I, I'm not quite familiar with the whole thing that happened in Florida. But didn't they have to like try to figure out intent of the ballots or something like that? Yeah, they had to recount a bunch of times. I don't remember the exact reason why, but there were multiple recounts staged over multiple days. I was I was seven years old when that happened. Yeah, that was the that was like basically the final straw because it was so close between yeah. Bush and, and Gore. Didn't it end up going to the Supreme Court? I think. Oh, they're closing right. it down. Closing remarks. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's see if they shake hands. No, they won't because they already said that um, because of the virus. They were not going to shake hands. That's so stupid. Throw in some hand sanitizer and then shake. What? What? Oh, vice presidential oh. debates are happening at the University of Utah. Between camel toe and... <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's what I call her. She sucks. Uh, Camel toe and and uh, and Pence. Pence. I didn't know they were having that in Utah. Who cares? Vice President one. Screw that. Let's let's see the let's see the. Uh, oh okay. No no no. We can still. Oh see wow! It. You can even tell the disgust on her face. Man, Trump and Melania are—they make me so uncomfortable. Yeah, they're almost as bad as 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 Bill and Hillary. Just so textbook like. As far as we are in marriage, not because we love each other. Yeah. yeah held hands for like thirty seconds, and now she's off the stage. <laughs> no, that's not to say like I, th- there's like you know there there are husband and wives that like don't necessarily need to be touchy feely to show affection. Yeah. Like they have different ways to show each other they do that stuff but like man they, they it's just palpable yeah and here come the talking heads and this is the part that i don't care about cause yeah but i mean they, they did say something that i i do agree with and i feel that and this is this has always been kind of my issue with trump is uh i i do feel that the office of presidency should demand some sort of respect as a as an individual and a human being, um, I think it does does demand a level of professionalism uh, in order to be able to uh, 
to to function in that office, and I just think that that Trump does not have that. Well, you um, know what's funny? That's another thing too that I have. So if anybody listened to this podcast episode, I can't guarantee whether my YouTube video will be out or not. But you know, during times of crisis, we've always been able to like at least depend on the president. You know, having a quick address saying my fellow Americans, yeah, and do something to help calm people down, right? Yeah. yeah. No. 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 We, we didn't get a single one of those from, from Trump saying, my fellow Americans, the virus is here, yeah. be smart, we yeah. need to, you know, no, none of that. We can't because he's rather go on Twitter and just slander people. Yeah. All right, he's... I'm going to go ahead and turn turn this off. Okay. Because I don't want <laughs> You don't want to. We're, we're the talking heads. We don't we want to. We talk <laughs> about our own heads. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that was bad. That was bad. That was a painful hour and a half. And we only really paid attention to maybe 20 minutes of it. But but I will say, I mean, we were watching the screen. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and we were able to, you know, at least demeanor-wise, and how many times I could hear Chris Wallace being like, Shut up! Please. Please calm down. Both, like, he's like, your campaign's agreed to two-minute talking points. Yeah. Please. <laughs> that was painful. That was painful. Yeah. Not, like... I don't know. I'm more impressed. Like Biden had more to prove than anybody because, like, we're not going to see anything new with Trump. Like, Trump is Trump. That's who he's going to be. Biden was—he didn't ramble. He was pretty coherent most of the time. Yeah. And he started he, dropping words a little bit there towards the end. That's true. But at least he was respectful. And yeah. when Chris Wallace was like, uh, "Mr. Vice President," he said, "Okay, all right." Yeah. You know, he now, did a little motion. Now, to be fair, like, if you want to really look at Trump's base. Um, they don't care about that. They don't care about that. In fact, they actually revel in the fact that he just is is relentless and and ruthless and he's and, a savage. Yeah, and and is a savage. Um, and and I I mean this is supposed to be a debate. Like I I have said multiple times that we need to be able to actually have um Let's see. Like, we need to be able to provide an environment for healthy debate, and that's supposed to be what the presidential debates are about. But they've been a a rating show for the last several elections. That um, it is. It's reality TV. It, that that has become reality TV, and that's what Trump excels in. He's a reality TV show actor, and so I mean, I'm surprised. That pains me to say um, <laughs> <laughs> that we we elected. I mean, that's like saying we elected Kim Kardashian as president. I mean, the <laughs> and, and the in new, some ways we did. The new cabinet will be comprised entirely of members from the Jersey Shore and the the Kenner Jenner or the 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 Kardashian the Kardashians. Jenner clan. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, but we've also proven that when we actually do have valid debates between intellectual people, such as like the the infamous uh, Sam Harris uh, Jordan, Jordan Peter- Peterson, Peterson debate, um, that that got several hundred thousand people uh, to watch it. In fact, it probably even has over a million. I don't know the numbers for sure. Yeah. So I actually just watched. Uh, I actually watched uh, the um, one of them last night, and it was the one where what's his name moderated. Um, Dave Rubin? Uh, it wasn't Rubin. It was another guy. It was like, like jo- uh, Jordan Peterson went on jo- Joe Rogan's podcast with him. I okay. His name. I don't remember. But I actually watched it the other night just because I like watching both Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Like, yeah. I respect both of them. I'm, and not, I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Harris, but I do love Jordan Peterson. Yeah, like, but I... Hold on one sec. I'm just trying to turn around because... We had it to where I had what? to. I've kind of adjusted the uh, 
the uh, the whatchamacallit, the, the recording realm, if you will. <laughs> and it is somewhat... Let's see. I wonder if I could just flip the microphone around. Yeah, you can flip it around. For like a second. I'm just going to okay. pause recording. Well, you can keep, just cut it out later. Okay. Just leave it running. I'm just going to put a little note here that... One hour and 42 minutes. I took a brief pause. Okay. Should we go to the uh, online forums and see what people are saying about this? Oh, yes. You know. That, that's, that's how news is justified nowadays. It's, it's half all based on Twitter. I refuse to log into Twitter, though. So Twitter's a freaking cesspool. Uh, okay. Let's hour see. Hour 43. Break. Okay. So all I'm going to do is actually, I'm just going to unplug this bad boy here. <laughs> if you're working, th- this is this comes from a, a, a uh, um, one of my AV groups, uh, yeah. audiovisual groups. Your mic's totally I dead. I, I totally yeah. But um, it says, if you're working the debate, please mute any of the mics when the speaker's out of turn. <laughs> I kind of agree yet disagree with that. Uh, but I, I, I think that just comes from civility that there needs to be a, if someone has two minutes to respond and to be able to respond to the question, then they should be allowed to make their point. Um, yes. No, that, I, that's a I big, agree. That's a big negative on Trump is, is, uh, uh not now, letting the other side speak. But I'm willing for them to like be able to say, no, that's not true. But the majority of what Trump was saying was like he would always resort with an ad, ad hominem attack yeah, just yeah. oh no well you and your people no you were last in your class it's like dude who freaking cares like i don't know but but like by nature of a debate you are going to have contested things but that's a great example you bring up of the jordan peterson sam harris one it's a two-hour video mm-hmm. that i would highly recommend doing yeah because like the moderator helped, but they did almost didn't even need the moderator because... Well, that's because they're two civil intellectuals who are trained in debate and are willing to have tough discussions. I mean, they argued on the what is truth for like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but, I mean... But in, in, like, they had mutual agreements over like how they were going to pr- approach it because Jordan Peterson came out with his laptop and had it right there and was yeah. going through everything. And Sam Harris just sat there and just... You know, but they knew how to go back and forth with each other and they knew when one wanted to make a point. I don't know. Like, I can't really explain how, like, it's cool to watch how they were able to take, like, they could get it down to where I need to make my rebuttal. You may have time to make your rebuttal. And I don't agree. But one thing that I did notice is that parts where they didn't agree, they either say, maybe we don't agree on this. So they found humor to be the best way to deescalate. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, the type of humor that the politicians normally go with is personal in nature. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I still laughed so hard when Trump went after Hillary. Like, uh, you know, if I were president, you'd be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> and he did that a little bit tonight. Um, and then Biden called him, the like, it's like, you're the worst president we've ever had in the history of the United States. It depends on what you're talking about because the president has – it's not just like you have one job. Like if you were to 
post a listing for say the you know jobs available for the president of the united states the duties would be just outrageous there's so many that you have to do things like implicit duties that you are like things that you are expected to do and then things that people just expect you to do like you mentioned earlier be a figurehead be somebody that can represent the united states at all times regardless of what you say about barack obama policy he was respectful. Yeah, people respected him and his image. And you know what? When you're in a poli- when you're in a position where your policies See, don't last, there's a double edged sword to that too. Because I would say the same. I would say that Obama was a respectable image of the presidency, but that's the key: is image, right? Um, a which lot can be of the, dangerous. Which can be dangerous. And, and I feel that a lot of these career politicians, we have absolutely no idea who they are as a person because they have spent so much time in an image so that they can. Uh, pretend to be whoever they want to be or need to be in order to be reelected. Yeah, because like you know, Obama's here winning Nobel Peace Prizes when he's using drone attacks to kill suspected suspected terrorists with collateral damage just through the roof. Like, yeah. and and the even of, he himself I, was like, "Why the heck am I nominated? I don't even know why." Yeah, like this is a little weird. Like, but I mean, I, I'm willing to look past their faults because, like, I'm I'm willing to say, like, yeah, you're not going to be perfect in what you do. So how do you mitigate those losses and things that you do? And a lot of them, like, the policies that they push through, if it's an executive order, it's not going to last forever. Yeah. And depending on what you're able to do through the entire process of, like, working with Congress and making sure you're able to get these things passed. So, so this is something interesting, and I, and I don't necessarily want to get on a religious tangent, yeah. but um, having spent as much time as I have within the infrastructure and organization that is BYU, I've been able to kind of vicariously look into how the church is run uh, in some ways. And um, I've been hearing a lot of stories. So I'm not going to say anything definitively, but I could, I could assume with, with a great degree of accuracy, this is how it is. Um, decisions, big, large decisions in the church that require the, uh, the guidance and destruction of, of, um, Corner of the Twelve and the First Presidency, so the the top fifteen leaders of the church, um, have to be made unanimously. Um, right. There's there's a lot about there's a lot to say about that. Uh, the I, I've had I've had friends of friends tell me this. I'm not, I mean take it with a grain of salt. Um, that when they have an issue and a topic they need to discuss, there's many many points of view. But through the process of of debate and discussion and agreement and disagreement and compromise. They then come to an unanimous decision. Right. Um, uh, here's an example of one that I know for sure. Uh, I had a, a, a professor, Mike, I think Mike, Mike McKay, Professor McKay for sure. I can't remember his first name, um, who, who wrote a book on, on Joseph Searstone. So not, not the Yerman Thummim, but the actual Searstone that he had. Um, and uh, for a long time, it was only rumored to exist. People didn't know necessarily much about it. Um, there were lots of books published on it. Most of them were, were quote-unquote anti in nature. Uh, but uh, a lot of people didn't know necessarily how to address it. And so then he started doing a lot of primary research. Again, it takes a long time to do it, right. to do as much as he could about it. And then he discovered that the church actually had the stone in its possession. Um, nobody really knew that. And so once he figured out that the church had, had the stone in its possession, he made a request to try to see it. Um, it took him about five years to kind of drop his request to be able to to see the stone. Five years as in, like, he had to go through the proper channels? Well, I mean, he tried to create the proposal. He wrote a book on it. He actually published his book on it, too. Uh, I have not read his book. It's on my list. So it was only, be- like, 
five years to get the first attempt started or is well, it I mean, it's just took multiple attempts, multiple attempts, okay. getting the yeah, data yeah. together, getting the proposal together, getting the right people in place. I mean, it's a long time to be able to like, I mean, this is primary research. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. So that's why it took a long time. So, and then when he, when he three to five, I can't remember exactly what he said. Um, but, uh, when he finally made the proposal, he got a response back said, ask again what elder Packard dies. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, and uh, and that kind of goes to show the unanimous nature of the decisions that they have to make. Um, and as and as you recall, um, the church published pictures of the stone shortly after President Packard died. Um, very shortly. It was actually about five months after he passed away. Um, and that goes to show the unanimous nature that they'll make decisions like that. Um, I'm guessing, uh, I'm assuming that in the debates when they were talking about whether or not to make the, the stone public or not... Um, Elder Packard was one of the holdouts who said, no, we will not ever do this. Um, and then they waited till he passed away. Uh, and then new people came in and then it kind of changed. And you could, you could say the same thing um, with multiple different church policies. You kind of wait till certain people are in place at the right time to be able to, to, to pass those certain policies. But there's a lot to be, what my, my, my intent with this is there's a lot to be said about learning to compromise when a unanimous decision is at stake. Um, now, granted, with, with the church, there's only 15 people that really have to come into play for that. Uh, in Congress, you have 543. <laughs> yeah, um, if we, yeah, with the House and Senate, yeah, yeah there's quite so, a few. So that, gets, that, that makes it like, increasingly more difficult. But we believe that um, we as a society should be able to, like, we, I, I, at least my personal opinion is I believe that government should have less power over the people and its powers derived from the people. Um, and so if it takes longer to get something passed, yeah, because you have to agree on it. And so we've become so hyper-partisan hyper that we're not agreeing on anything. And so you have to go through back channels, whether that's through the Supreme Court or through executive decisions or, or anything else, to be able to get your ideas passed rather than learning how to actually compromise, debate, and agree. And that's the, the, that's the fault we're going with. Uh, we're, we're working on right now as, as a... As a legislative, I mean, if you think about, I mean, we have 26 constitutional amendments that pass that require a two-thirds majority of a pass. Could you even fathom a two-thirds majority on anything right now? You can't. <laughs> they couldn't do it on the... We're so hyper-partisan. Couldn't, couldn't do it on the impeachment. Yeah. Um, we're so hyper-partisan on every single social topic that like like if we wanted to propose a constitutional amendment to abolish the electoral college like they're saying or to abolish the second amendment like you can't get two-thirds of the people to agree on anything because we don't know how to compromise we don't know what's at stake and and the issues with the policies that are being being brought up is is they work in certain areas and they don't work in other areas and that's well another piece of that that's brought into the equation is because we're talking about how people in, you know, in, interpersonal communication works. But another thing that needs to be acknowledged is corporations are treated by like people yeah. under law. I, and I, they I ha they fundamentally disagree with that. They have their own interests that they want to be, uh, you know, they want to bring to the table. So that's where lobbying comes in. Yeah. And I don't think we're ready to, I don't, I don't think we're ready to, 
to accurately go after them because I think in a perfect world, yes, it would just be, I'm a member of the community and this is what I want. And if we don't agree on something, let's talk it out and find ways that we can, you know, make like concessions on certain things. So overall we, we figure out what we want and we, you know, can get something that benefits everybody. But the problem is with corporations, do they represent just their own interests? Do they represent an industry in itself? Uh, that's dangerous because the industry isn't the person isn't the person by law, um, and so- a corporation will want to protect its own interests in the industry to make sure that it keeps its power, just right. like anybody else, right? Or compete or protect their competitive advantage yeah, in their ex- industry, exactly. Which that's something that throws a wrench into all this too, and like. It's not like I'm not like an anti-capitalist thing. Like, dude, capitalism is still going to be the absolute best way to always make sure you. But make the way that better. the corporations are involved in an electoral process and government isn't a capitalist society, right? It's um, it's not. It's yeah. it really isn't. Well, well, because also capitalism isn't a form of of government. It's it's an economic policy. Yeah. So you know, it's just a mingling thing. Like, but like, I mean, uh, an economy depends on the borders with that it with in which it operates yeah. which a government will say these are our borders this is where you can do it so by i mean by nature yes a government will probably always have some type of say in how a market performs yeah. and they have initiatives on how they want them to perform like see my my philosophy of government has always been like you need to let the people operate independently until they start messing with other people and and that's when you kind of have to be the the uh, benevolent father in a way and be like, come on, what are you doing? You know that's not right. You know that's wrong. Right. Like like if you're like massively polluting um, like a river that to the point where it's now made water uh, una- unable to drink, you're like, come on, man. Like you know that's wrong. Why are you doing that? And then that's when regulation needs to be happening. But it shouldn't be like permanent. Regulation. It just needs to be nudging in the right directions. And at least that's my opinion. So here's a question that comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Do you think that people who go into power, they're going to be the ones who like know better? So because they think that either they're privy to more information or they understand a situation better than others because they're smarter, that they're going to make I... like that's going to be the counter argument to the will of the people. Yeah. And that's because that that's seems to be trick. how it always plays. Like, yeah. you know, I know better because there's things that you don't know, or there's things you don't understand. We're smarter than you. Yeah. You know, we understand. I mean, these I, I mean, that's in the perfect world. And, and that's, that's the dangerous thing that, that Jordan Peterson always talks about. Oh, it didn't work because I wasn't the noble leader, the, the benevolent father to be able to make a socialist communist society, utopia work, whatever. And he says that's the most dangerous person you want to listen to, or you, you don't want to listen to. That's the most dangerous person, um, because if you believe that, then then you are naive. Um, and, I, right. and I agree with that. But it, I mean, I don't know. It's I, I'm, it just seems by nature though that we elect these politicians, and then you know they'll say you should vote me because reason A, reason B, and reason C, and then they go to Washington and they don't vote for reason A, reason B, reason C, because I know something. Well, yeah. I know what's best for you guys. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's like, no, you you don't. Yeah. Or their reasoning well, well, or their so, reasoning is, is for personal gain. Yeah, yeah. Because who would realistically want to stay? Like, that's the thing. It's like people want to stay on Capitol Hill. Like, if you just went by the demands of the job alone, 
a lot of people wouldn't want to do that. That's a headache. Yeah. That's a headache of a and job. But the perks that they get from staying there, like these people, like Joe Biden's been in Washington for 40 plus years. Yeah. Because there's a lot that they gain from it personally. Yeah. They're not civil servants. Their people get rich off of and it. And that's where I think term limits come into play and would help benefit and curb that. Um, now, now, one of the things that I do want to talk about uh, that I've been thinking about a lot lately uh, that, that actually kind of came up from from uh, the last episode of John Oliver's thing. I don't know if you've watched his show at all. I, I, yeah, I've watched a few of his segments. Okay. There's some that I like. There's some that yeah, I don't. Yeah, and same, and same. I think there's some things that he definitely brings up, at least in the past when it was the first couple of seasons. He did some great things that I felt are things that needed to be brought up and talked about. And then he actually went and actually was able to do some things uh, for good. Um, now I think he's more of another talking head. Um, that's trying to push an agenda, but that's 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 besides the point. But he brought up an interesting thing that I started thinking about a bit, um, and that's the idea of what an American democracy looks like. Uh, and this kind of goes back with the idea of Trump being an illegitimate president. Um, I think there's a misconception that an America is a populist democracy, meaning uh, majority rules from a population standpoint. Um, and it's not fully understood that that's not the case. The original intent, or the original voters in in um, the Constitution were only landowners. Um, and I actually even think black landowners could vote at the beginning. Um, it was only slaves that were the three-fifths compromise or whatever. I, I, was the three-fifths compromise um, a constitutional thing in, 18, in 1789 or was that later? I can't remember. Uh, oh, I don't remember. I know it's an amendment, I believe. Okay. Um, but I think, if, and I may be wrong at this, but I think at the beginning, uh, right after the Constitution was formed, if, if a black man owned land, he was deemed a valid um, voter. Uh, and that's since changed throughout the years. But that was the original intent of what the Constitution and representatives of the country were, were landowners. Um uh, and I think that idea still exists within our country, uh, and this is the big this is the big um, disconnect I think people have is I mean a majority of the like fifty one percent of the population lives in like six counties of the United States, um, like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Miami, San Francisco, and then that's it. That's fifty. Right. That's that's one hundred fifty one million people right there. Yeah, um, and the the beauty of the constitution is they saw these population centers and said you cannot dictate policy for the entire country based on those individual cities because their needs aren't going to be the same as the needs of the rest of the country and so that's where you have like the the house is is um, set up as a populist majority, whereas the Senate is set up as a state majority. Maybe a lot of that had to do because it was landowner based. It because, was landowner yeah, based, and yeah, that's where that's where this yeah. idea kind of stems from. Yeah. Um, uh, that the landowners still wanted to be able to have a say because they had equity in the country, so to speak. They owned a part of the country um, versus somebody who worked for them. They didn't see as having that same level of power because they didn't have any stake in the kind of in the country, so to speak. Kind of using a stock market analogy. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that's where the idea of a populist-based House of Representatives comes from versus the state-based the Senate. Um, but that idea of having a land-based, uh, community-based sort of government still exists. 
Uh, this is where a disconnect comes because John Oliver's whole argument that he made in his last Supreme Court uh, video that was aired on Sunday was all about how we need to get rid of the idea of a land-based um, uh, democracy and, and focus on a populist-based. 51% of the country agrees in this. 75% of the country agrees in this. 45% of all the populace. How many statistics have we heard like that? That the people agree in this. Um, we are a nation of communities and people. However, those communities will soon be drowned out by the mob rule voice of some of these larger communities. And what works in Los Angeles doesn't work in Salida, Colorado. What works in New York doesn't work in Walla Walla, Washington. Like the the voice of the little guy still needs to have a have a spot in government. And that's the beauty of the Constitution is is we have it set up that yeah, if you're a citizen of Wyoming, your vote is worth four Californian citizens. That is by design. That's the danger though that we have with the current composition is because, you know, there's this thing called the supremacy clause, which states that federal law will take precedent over state law when they deem it necessary. And that's that's the issue that we've been running into is um, we have celebritized the federal government to be the end-all, be-all uh, right. organization. Which is a gripe that I have and which is why I am not going to the polls this year. I refuse to go because no matter who I vote for in my community-based things, their influence is severely limited because federal law will always, always take precedent over yeah. anything else. Federal, any other federal law was only supposed to keep the states in line. And we have made it so that the federal law has to be put into place because because Wyoming isn't doing what, what California wants and, it to do. And here's a great example. Even if a state gets down to an issue where they want to have something, medicinal marijuana, they all have to, like, I, 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 I uh, watched a documentary that was that, that followed these business owners that got into, um, you know, making their own medicinal marijuana companies or recreational, a lot of them had to register as medicinal because, you know, for one reason or other for legislation and things like that, half of them can't even like they can only take cash because and they can't get credit. They can't they can't tap into any type of equity. That's that's we could we that we could have a whole. But but that's but that's a primary example that a state that's kind of like people within this own border have said we want to have this even though the government says no. And the government makes it deliberately well, harder for those people to get access to it because then it gets it like it just they have so many rules that they have to abide by by the federal government, not by the state government. And then the state government, you know, then makes their own rules that are also. Well, you know, if backwards. you actually look at the marijuana thing in particular, it actually stems from a propaganda campaign from a pharmacist pharmaceutical company in the late 20s. I think the late 20s. Oh, um, was that the, like reefer madness stuff? Maybe where where there was a guy who had a friend in Congress who and he saw that people were using medicinal marijuana that were cutting into his own profits and so he launched a propaganda campaign in Congress and lobbied to have marijuana um, made illegal uh, and that's where we get into the again where lobbying cor- corporate interests lobby to which might I add policy. I I I know because of the video that I'm making right now last year pharmaceutical companies it was three hundred million that they spent just alone on lobbying yeah. They're, they were by far the highest. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. I but, mean, but it was but meta, or meta, the marijuana question was then was then uh, uh, made worse through the war on drugs in the seventies. Right. Um, so I mean the the 
yeah, it's 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 kind of federal a known, initiative, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of known that that the the whole idea that marijuana is illegal is kind of a sham. Um, it has it has, it really does not have any reason that it needs to be illegal, um, except for corporate interests. And right, and but even then, when you bring it down to state, I mean, there are states who are still like, nope, nope, we don't want any part of it. Yeah. And that's but it people, stems that's back people, from that propaganda campaign, right? And and that's people mechanizing the federal machine to yeah. do their bidding. Yeah. And 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 that's that's and, why, like, even if you are a state that can do certain things, you're still bound in so many ways, it shapes and forms as to what you can do. Be, whether which because is of the federal which is government. why, for me personally, if there was a if there was a presidential candidate who come up and said, "Hey, look, the federal government has way too much power. The purpose of the country was supposed to be a united United States." a united set of communities um, who we trust enough to govern themselves. And if you disagreed with the policies of your community, you would go and find a like community that you wanted to be a part of. Um, Can you think of a candidate that's even come remotely close to that way of thinking since? Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Well, because the way that, like, think about all those commissions. Think about the debate we just watched. That was sanctioned by a federal debate um, uh, committee. Yeah. And so the 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 checks and balances that we have they're not proper balance like they're not proper counterweights to keep people in check. So it's federally funded. It's federally based. They they run off of federal tax dollars. Yeah. So if they have somebody coming in in the earliest in the infant stage of saying I don't want government, I don't want government. Well, the whole way for them to get into power, they need the government to enable them to do so. So naturally, they're going to have to play nice in some way, shape, or form. And Trump's like Trump's definitely he challenges the status quo, but he also benefits from the you know from from the big government structure that he has. Yeah. He he hasn't done a whole lot to deregulate. Uh, from I don't know enough about trust policies, but from what my dad has told me. He has actually deregulated a lot of different industries. Certain industries, but but it's still not like completely draining the swamp. I mean, look no. how much the I mean the deficit just keeps going through the roof. Yeah, I mean, well that that it's picking and, it's picking and choosing. Yeah, is what it is. It's still very much so like no that we're still going to have large bureaucratic rule. I mean, and and this is the libertarian idea versus the Republican idea. And this is one of the issues I have with with uh, with conservative Republicans is. Um, they always talk about the deficit and how they want to be a fiscal conservative, but evidence has seen that they have done very little to curb uh, uh, spending. Right. Um, the only president in the last 40 years to ever even come close to, to to curbing the deficit has been Bill Clinton. As much as I hate Bill Clinton. I think he had the balance. I think he had the he budget. Balanced the budget. He balanced the budget in his second term. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. And the fact that he was able to do that is quite remarkable. Um, Which brings another issue to the forefront. Should the president, should we ch- pick a president purely because of morals? Because Bill well, Clinton, like because mor- Bill and Hillary Clinton morally are kind of despicable people. Yeah. But if he had well, policy like that, it's like Trump you- is kind of a despicable person. And if you look at some of the policies that he made, are very favorable to certain interests. Yeah. Um, there's. We're we're missing a like we I mean so many people have talked about this we're missing a third option, um, and the third option not even a third I'd say fourth fifth well there's there's it's a double edged sword uh, as is everything um, but how many people have said they are socially liberal but fiscally conservative yeah there's a lot there is that's the next party um, because I mean I I'm I'm like I I believe that taxes should be able to 
pay for certain social programs um, and, and provide opportunities for those people. But at the same time, we cannot fund everything. Uh, that people have to be able to find independence and fiscally responsible uh, careers for themselves, and it's only it's only an exception to be able to qualify for those types of assistances. Um, I do not believe that government should be able should be a safety net, uh, um, and that's a hard that's a hard thing that people disagree with fundamentally. They say, "Well, what if I don't have a family for a safety net?" And it's like there are other people who are willing to provide you a safety net through private means. Uh, but I do not feel that the government needs to provide a safety net for every citizen because it's at least for a country our size, that's impossible. Well, it goes um, back to the principle we talked about earlier. It's more of the government needs to be involved when people are, are infringing upon others' other rights. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, if you go broke because your business went belly up, that's the risk did, of taking them. Did somebody do it maliciously? If not, then well, yeah. Um, and that, that, that brings a whole other question. Cause I, I also think that if the, that, Government cannot hand bailouts. If you're too big to fail and you fail, you screwed up. You failed. Like, and if they do, I want to see my dividends. Yeah, um. yeah. If Chevy, <laughs> if Chevy posted, uh, if Chevy posted gains and they paid out their, you know, to dividends to their shareholders, I'm a shareholder <laughs> uh, as a tax-paying citizen. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would like a dividend. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, 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 I vehemently disagree with with government bailouts of corporations. Um, and I do not think that that should be the case. If and they're not—they're not effective either. Look at the tarp stuff. Look at how much money went unaccounted in tarp. Yeah, yeah. Like tri—not bill- <laughs> not billions, trillions of dollars that they're just like, we don't know where it went. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um. And because with bailouts, the mechanism behind it is often the Federal Reserve, who's just like, yeah. let's manipulate this how we want. Yeah. I learned a lot about monetarism, uh, like Milton Friedman. Yeah. They, which is really funny because like the textbook, uh, kind of wrote him off as like a kooky dude and very few people are monetarists and you know, they, they have a lot more people have more balanced and fair approach to economics now. But like what he talked about was like, basically when people mess with the money supply that affects everything Mm -hmm. and it's like, he's not wrong. Otherwise the federal reserve, we wouldn't need him Yeah, because they're the ones who mess. And that's why the profit motivated capitalistic idea works is because when you mess with the money, people really start messing. I start questioning. Well, and it's because when they mess, because that's how they control the money supply. So if they drop how much money is available, then that affects bank reserves. And then if banks don't have enough reserves, they give out less loans. And if they're giving out less loans then it's higher interest rates Yeah, uh, and things or, or lower interest rates or, however that that crap works but that's it's all directly tied to how much money is circulating in the economy and they they there's literally no one but like it's board related so like the president can't come in and say you guys have to stop they literally like nope they're their own independent bank that's enabled by the federal government to operate on their own and so they adjust anything they want now given they they do work with the president uh primarily the chairman to you know if if the president wants to make sure interest rates stay low you know as long as it's amicable then then they do so but that's a very scary thing as well where like those people they they control literally like like the entire flow of the economy goes through them it starts off with them which is scary yeah and that's entirely against free market because ultimately we should decide what's valuable and what's not. And and part of the free market ideal too is I, I also disagree with um, public money investing in private industry uh, unless it's in a way of like research 
that where the research then is publicly available to everybody. You can't patent um, research grants from the government and then make a profit off of those. Well, and that's a real good way to get yourself in a China situation. You know why? Because uh, I, I think uh, as far as like the world's biggest economies, I think China has like the highest level of state-owned influences or state-owned businesses inside the economy. It's well over 50%. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get, you know, now you have mass CCP rule over people. You can't say anything. Yeah. Facial mass facial recognition, like basically being tyrants in every shape and form <laughs> of the definition, you know. And but that that enables it more than anything if they can tap into those, um, you know, the the private industries and things like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and uh, like the remember when like Amazon was trying to find a new headquarters and it was all about the the tax rebates yeah. that they could get. I don't agree with that. Um, that like providing incentives for corporate interests to be in your state. I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you're trying to generate jobs and stuff in an economy. Um, I think from a more uh, humanistic perspective, you want to try to find a community that you want to invest in rather um, and see what potential the community you can offer rather than what can the community offer you. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And, but, but, the community oftentimes has a lot of it has to do with whom's whose palms have been greet like whose palms have been greased to make sure that this community can you know function well enough because let's say i want to go start my own community off in the mountains mm -hmm. well i can't do that automatically i have to get you know i have to go through zoning requests i have to make sure that i can find developers and i can you know find the right people and i can you know get uh contracts for people to go build homes or roads yeah, or things yeah. like that the government controls a lot of those mechanisms so it, as as i actually think they should but it should be a lower barrier to entry right i agree and but the problem is a lot of times they manipulate the barriers of entry yeah. to what they find expedient yeah. and so these communities have been influenced in some way shape or form by a government uh entity which you know, then the community, you could have a community of fantastic people who might not have the most money available, mm -hmm. but because of one reason or another, it's, well, sorry, can't, yeah. it sucks. But why does Amazon have to move to begin with? Because they don't want to get, like, I wouldn't want to pay stupid amounts of taxes either. Like, it's all about like, you know, I just bought this graphics card, right? Yeah. Why did I buy it? Because I derive value from it. Yeah. Why does everybody gripe about paying taxes? Because we don't see the immediate benefits that we get from taxes. Sure, there are a lot of things we benefit from, but we don't attribute a lot of value to them. Like, okay, we have roads. I get it, but how often do does it take a million years to fix a road? You know, why is <laughs> it? I've said that multiple times. If you want to be the best president in the world, you just have to get up there and say, "I vow to fill all the potholes." <laughs> the best thing you could do is to say, "I will enable private businesses to to fix the roads in their towns that they want." Yeah. Good example: Domino's. Domino's is like, "We'll fix the roads." Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Please take the burden off of my hands. Yeah, Go yeah. ahead. You know, but that's you get more out of community when people have capital. And so, so here's an interesting philosophical that's kind of the opposite of what we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, here, here's an example that I thought of in Utah. This is kind of going against what I just said. Yeah. Uh, homeowners associations. Yeah. <laughs> um, say you live in a community, it's much, much smaller community, just a regular neighborhood. And they have a mandate that you need 600 square feet of sod 
uh, in your community. And that is, that is their chartered mandate for that neighborhood. Right. And you have to have the sprinkler system. It has to be green when the time is green. You have to upkeep it and all that stuff. Um, and say you're living in a desert like Utah and you're experiencing unprecedented population growth like Utah uh, to where you're now in a substantial water deficit uh, like Utah <laughs> um, where a good chunk of all your water is just going to sprinkler lawns in a desert. Yeah. Um, and you have a community that voted on these rules that uh, – Said, oh, we we agreed to have six hundred at least six hundred square feet of sod lawn in our neighborhood. That is by design. We voted for that as a community. That is our right. We've decided that. From a federal perspective, from an overarching government perspective, that can quote unquote see what know what you don't know type thing. Yeah. Um, they may come in and say, you know what, you're in a water shortage. We need you cannot have a lawn anymore. Is that Okay, is that deemable as a non-intrusive type government, or knowing what's for the better good? Like, when does that line ha- happen? It it depends on how properly, like how well they took measures to come to that conclusion. Yeah, because if the guy, it, it's one thing if the government says we think that the best solution is for you to not have lawns. Yeah. But we'll let you decide, or or well, we'll we'll let you think of different ways. So this is an example of economic. So kind of this thinking, is an example. This is an economic example. Yeah, it's about externalities, right? Because a lot of people can't control the the, the weather. Yeah. So how do you approach those externalities? And a lot of times, because innovation is in play in the market, because you have to innovate to succeed. So if you let people innovate, they'll often find better solutions than just one that's laid out. Yeah. Because if you one one point of view, you're not being prodded along by a competitive force, by somebody else who threatens your existence because they have something better. So there's no competitive edge to that. So while I, I do think if we had like a you know a, a, like an omniscient government that that completely knew everything like in like the rate of error was low okay maybe but i i I don't think mandate should be one thing i think it's more about community empowerment that okay here's your problem this is what we think will do it and unless you can find a better way to take care of it then we're gonna we're gonna institute this because one of the ideas that i thought too was was provided and this is where the power of tax and non-tax can come into play the power of taxation yeah um I had two kind of cool ideas with this. One was, okay, we see that there's a water shortage. We're not going to tell you that you can't have a lawn. But we're going to say that if you get rid of your lawn and zeroscape your property, um, we'll give you a tax break. or like a ta- You won't have to pay property taxes that year. We'll give you a certain cut of your property taxes. I agree. I, th- I think that is the way to do a lot of things is yeah. tax breaks. Because it kind of goes with profit motivations too. Yeah. What's your um, other idea? The other idea, and I actually really like this idea. Yeah. Um, cause we, we kind of talked a little bit about how the education system is broken. And I specifically think, um, the education system for adults is just non-existent. Yeah. Um, you just don't stop learning when you're 21 or 25 or in my case, 30 yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you graduate Ditto. college. <laughs> um, but, uh, there, I, I think the investment in local community, um, 
recreational centers is 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 imperative to being able to to build a, a healthy society, including an educational component, just being able to offer classes. Um, and so the idea that I had that I thought was brilliant because you can't afford to pay people to do that. Like the taxes, nobody's going to vote for that. It's going to be seen as a, as a luxury, not a, not a need. Um, and so nobody's ever going to pay for that unless they actually go to university or go to college. However, if you provide a tax incentive for professors to, to, to go out of their way to teach, number one, you're going to get passionate professors who want to teach subjects to adults, uh, that they need to learn. And number two, um, you're going to get a high quality education as a consumer. That's really inter- interesting. You mentioned that I mentioned this on the show before I forget who I think it was Austin Engel, maybe where I talked about that. We need to empower businesses to invest in their communities yeah. and let them teach and prepare people for the workforce more. So while you're saying that, you know, we have these initiatives where like, you know, you have a recreation center and you have classes that by these professors that teach certain things. And, you know, you get these certain tax breaks if you teach towards a certain thing. So like economics, if you have an economics professor who is just passionate about teaching and you can provide him an incentive to teach outside of the university classroom by offering him a tax break. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's something that's important. I think more than just teaching, I think we need to have hands on experience yeah because well you, classroom, you and i have talked about this classroom yeah classroom instruction can only take you so far yeah the best way to feel ready for something is just to go out and you know go out and do it yeah that, that but that, I, I get what you're saying for that but i'm also talking about like the humanity style of classes too of like because i would have loved to take a political science course um or an economics course or or some of those more philosophical style of, of, of knowledge gainers right? Um, versus just all the, the practical engineering classes that I took. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and so one of the things that, that – Or a law course or well, something. And because businesses are constantly looking for ways to save money, I mean, tax um, um, – like tactics in a str- like a strategy that a business will take to minimize tax impact is just natural because taxes generally are not they, they don't provide a lot of intrinsic value to a company so what you do is you say well we're we have a problem right now with uh you know with people not having enough job skills or uh, well, well, you and I talked about this once before, where instead of kind of going through the traditional school that we do have, having businesses provide um, apprenticeship opportunities absolutely at a, at a younger age of like twelve to fourteen. Yeah, I think that would be that would be one of the most beneficial things we can do and, for both and, sides. And then you give them a break because the social like if we had a cost that we could attribute to a tax, it's you know what is this costing society, and we're going to pay for it. You know, so. The fact that if we're worried about our workforce being competitive in the future, well, we don't have to levy a tax now on these businesses because they're automatically investing that into the community. And we're making our, you know, our human capital more competitive, more efficient and, you know, better, you know, equipped to handle the, you know, the futures of the changing world. Uh, we, we haven't moved in the right direction. And I think businesses would be okay with doing that if... You know, if I have to pay $20,000 worth of taxes or I can have $20,000 to invest into my community by creating my program, Mm -hmm. how I want, when I want, and getting possible, you know, recruitment for people that might work for me in the future, 
or things like that, building loyalty to my company. Yeah, I would do it. So um, I think the question we're kind of dancing around here is instead of trying to find a profit-motivated economic system that we're currently in, where it's all about minimizing costs to increase gains so that I can benefit the, the company leader, is how do we incentivize uh, community investment and yeah. people investment from a, from a, from a uh, um, kind of a capitalist perspective? It's a difficult question because you, you can't – like. We have, we can't like the government can't morally say like, I have a huge problem with people who say like, we should never have billionaires. People have no right to have profits. That is completely not true. I think, but it's so hard to regulate greed Yeah, because people are natural. Like that's just, that's an economics thing. Like people are rational beings. And if something brings value to them, they're going to seek it. And I, I think that's the tough part is how do we take more of these dead costs and, and bring something out of it? And, you know, the allocative efficiency instead of just throwing it out the window. And see, the idea of tough. actually having a free market uh, economy of allowing new industries to pop up because it we it's self-regulating in a, in a way that if you don't take proper care of your employees, employees will leave and go to an industry that – and a company that will. But if you have this oligarch, uh, I think I'm using that word right, maybe not, um, style of... of uh, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, oligarch, it's, it's like certain powerful individuals that control certain... Yeah, and then they, they don't society. allow the, the new innovative right. um, generation to then blow up. However, we have such a, a narrow point of view that, I mean, the top five companies right now are what? Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Walmart. And Walmart. Let's just let's just use those by an example. Generally speaking, um, in this generation, you go back fifteen years, it was Exxon, GE, uh, um, and a few others. That it's like probably infor- don't even re- exist anymore. It's like information is the new oil. Well, and that's not. I'm done, that's what I'm just saying. I'm saying that there's a fluctuation in who is quote unquote on top. So it is still allowing that innovation to occur. However, it just takes time where we don't have the appetite. To be able, to, or we don't have the attention span to allow that process to happen. Right now, Amazon employs eight hundred thousand people in the United States. Um, at one point, uh, uh, Standard Oil, Standard Oil, yeah, yeah, Standard Oil was was the largest employer in the in in the country. And Standard Oil is not existing anymore in seventy years. Right. Who knows what's going to happen to a- Apple? Um, I've always said. I am very scared when when the Google guys stepped down from Google, and they just did. Uh, they are no longer uh, – I think they're still on the board of directors, but they are no longer in charge of their day-to-day operations um, because now who knows what's going to happen with Google and the, the power that it has. Uh, um, who, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Yeah, the power that they wield is crazy. But it, this also brings something else, and this is where the greed thing comes into play. We talked earlier about – you know, Jeff Bezos and, you know, I get so bothered when people just automatically post those things. Like if Jeff Bezos gave everyone a thousand dollars, you know, he could go back to the time Jesus was born and everybody would, you know, be it's, able to it's, have, it's a funny thing to think about. It's a good thought experiment, but it's not real entirely. It's not. Yeah. It's not entirely real because liquidity is not brought into that equation. Yeah. It's not. And, and a lot of people like there's a difference between having cash and wealth. Well, like, I mean, look at Elon. Um, Elon, when he started Tesla, I think he was worth like $4 billion. Yeah. Um, 
and and then when he started investing in everything. So I, I think Elon's a really good example of learning when to invest in ideas and innovation and people rather than in himself. Now, granted, he's worth what forty three billion dollars now. Yeah. Um, but at at times he had to he had to borrow money, uh, because he he had so many payment obligations. He actually didn't have any cash on hand. Right. He, he was still worth forty billion dollars, but he had zero cash on hand. To be able to like pay his expenses at that moment because everything was tied up in his businesses and in his ideas, and that's a principle of finance. People who do make the biggest moves, they borrow money. They have they have yeah. borrowed, and, and yeah. that's the risk they take. Because yeah. if the ideas don't pan out, then they're broke. They're yeah, done. and that and that's part of their analysis because they have to determine how they're going to make it back and whether you know it's profitable. Yeah, the and then and if you look at Tesla specifically, I mean, he gained twenty billion dollars in a month and then lost it the next month. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now that's not twenty billion dollars in his bank account, and then it's gone. It's just his virtual net worth of of what what the uh, the investors think that your company is worth to them, and what they're willing to margin on their investments. Um. Anyways, we kind of got sidetracked. But there. I think this is all pointing towards like a lot of times the general public, a lot of people don't understand these things because yeah. those. But things, this is where the idea of in- incentivizing these economics professors to try to teach these principles. Yeah, you let the good ideas, you know, help help make their way through, you know, l- l- let them dilute into, yeah. you know, the general populace. Yeah, that's 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 really important. I just think one thing though that's just I think we're always going to have ruling class. And lower class, simply just because of raw human, uh, like levels of potential and intelligence. So, so I think it's always bound to happen because, like, the statement that we're all equal is not even entirely true. Like, I think we should hold like the value of life and everybody being able to like choose how they, uh, you know, take care of business and I life is important. The, but the idea, but everybody okay. like there are general different levels that people have of just intelligence. And a lot of times that directly influences people's consumption patterns and how much, uh, you know, inf- um, whatchamacallit, how much time they're going to take to research things or understand certain principles instead of just being naturally compulsive, automatically wanting to get that quick like on a post instead of properly vetting it and looking for different principles. That That's the, the vast majority of people live like that where it's quick. We want it mm-hmm. now and we're not willing to, you know, properly vet things or we don't understand things or we don't have the best intelligence to unpack those things. That's just a natural thing since the beginning of time. There's different levels of intelligence among people. And I think that's going to like the middle class has been one of the biggest innovations that we have kind of like, you know, separating that huge power distribution. But, and I'm not saying that people in power are automatically smart, but I played the game. They played the game, which is a form of intelligence. It shows Mm -hmm. how well they can decipher a problem. I mean, the most crucial part of playing the game is recognizing a problem and figuring out, figuring out a way to solve it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's what it is. Um, now, something when you're saying about that, or kind of having a recognized intelligence, uh, one of the interesting things that the U.S. military discovered, uh, and this is this is one of the hard truths that a lot of people don't really want to acknowledge, um, and this is a justification for a social social programs. Uh, I, I believe that if the military basically proved um, in World War II that if you have an IQ of like seventy or below you literally are worthless to society, like worthless to contribute to 
um, any sort of system. I won't say society, but to a system. Um, meaning you can't even handle instructions and simple tasks. Uh, and so that's why they initiated, that's why they had intelligence tests. I can't remember what the, intel- the military intelligence tests, but that's why they started those is so that they could determine your IQ level and then put you in a place that would then help you. And if you failed that test, you literally could not contribute to a system. And that still exists. I mean, how many people actually apply to the military um, and are just dropped out and then are forgotten because we just don't even know. We just don't ever really acknowledge that that level of society exists, that there are people who are necessary. I don't want to say this, but there are literally people who exist who cannot contribute anything to society. No, that's, that's a fair thing because I, I, when I, my first job out of high school, I worked with people with developmental disabilities and, yeah. and I'm not necessarily that's, talking, that's people who I'm are not necessarily talking about developmental issues as well. Any, but um, a lot, but a lot of them, it's like, it, it's the legal definition. If you have an IQ over under 70, then yeah. they define that as mental retardation. Yeah. So, and so the, how, how do we deal with that? Well, that's a great question. And a lot of people who, who fall into that population, a lot of it has come from community development. Yeah. So people in the community recognize that just because they, they aren't the best at, you know, going through these things, they still have a desire to be human, to be productive. It's yeah. just that, like you mentioned, sometimes they don't know the best way to do it. And so community initiatives really helped out. To where they started co-ops, they started businesses and things that where they would hire these individuals and give them work that they could do. So janitors, yeah. um, uh, there was a paper shredding company that they had where they trained them how to pick up, uh, you know, they would, they would, they had a work site they would go to, they would empty the shredding bins and because there was a need for it, they figured out these people can do that. See, and now here's from the profit motivation standpoint. Um, if you have a head, like a, an individual yeah. in your company, you have to pay Social Security, payroll taxes, Medicaid, Medicare on these employees. Yeah. And they end up costing you a lot more than you. So if you hire a, one of those type of employees for $20,000 a year, you're still spending $60,000 a year on this employee. Right. And that's where the idea that all this automation comes into play. So if I can reduce my head account and these overhead expenses, then I can just pay a machine to do exactly that. And now you have no job potential for these individuals right so one problem that does come in though is if we're always going to have to find new industries where we can put people to work because if people can't have an income then they're not going to consume yeah and that's why we need them so like yes we innovate and if a machine can get the job done great but we have to find some way to consistently have human capital available yeah that's why it's important for us to have good education programs because, you know, not only do you teach people how to do things, but then you have the work available for them to do so. That's, that's, that's how we innovate. We shouldn't get out. Of, we shouldn't get in the way of innovation that, I mean, we, if we can be better off with it, great. But, uh, human cat, like people, we, we still need money to consume. And if we don't have that, then that's a problem. Then we can't have all these businesses that make all these great products and all these innovations because there's no one to buy it because ultimately we fund innovation. Yeah, yeah. We have to, you know, that's where the cost of goods sold comes from. So I'm getting kind of tired. Ditto. Yes. But, uh, yeah. So but. basically at the end of this, we're uh, announcing our own presidential run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Eads Butler. I don't know. 
I would abuse power so quickly. <laughs> I would become a tyrant. Yeah. I would I would be but like But here we just had a very civil debate. We agreed, we disagreed. Yeah. Um, we didn't need a moderator. We didn't jab each other on personal things. Well, and I I've got friends that they have ideas that I find far fetched, but yeah. I can still sit down with them and talk about ideas and so I just th- think we need to get back to that. We I, need yeah. that. I just think it's funny that granted we are friends. Yes. Um, but uh, two civil humans in their basement are having a, a better discussion than the two people that are currently running to be the leader of the free world. That was awful. Yeah. But anyway, thanks for uh, not only coming on, but also the idea. Yeah. That's twice now. Ben's been like, <laughs> yo, actually, you know what? Now that I mention it, I think you had the idea for Area 51. Did I? I think you did. And I think I just found other people who were available and we all got together and we we're like, boom, let's do it. Oh, well, I, that was my favorite podcast. I still think that's like your best one that we've had. I did talk to Stuart. Stuart wants to come back on and do another D&D thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think we should. Oh, he just actually just got, um, he just got sort of hired to actually be a pseudo professional D&D player. How? Um, he, the, uh, there's a crew here in, in, in Provo. Provo? Yeah. I saw that. I, I, I drove my friend had a wedding at this place and I drove by and I was like, This place looks interesting. I Googled it. It's like a it's like a film studio and they had yeah. applications online. Mm-hmm. This is the role that you'll play. Yep. What experience do you have? And I thought yep. at the time I hadn't played any D and D, but I was in that whole thing where like I wanna play. Yeah. And then I've been thinking about that constantly, like, man, I'd love to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in four groups right now. <laughs> I DM one. I have one that meets every Tuesday. Didn't meet tonight because DM was feeling a little under the weather. Yeah. Uh, then I have a Saturday group that I'm a part of. And then we have another group uh, that um, with some friends in Ohio that uh, we play like once a month or every now and then. The schedules yeah. are really rare or really wild. But, dude, D&D, like, I play a ton of it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah but he wants cool. to come back on. He wants I to- want to have him on. Yeah, yeah. We, dude, we could definitely do that. We'll definitely... Yeah. Put it together. He's, he's settled down a little bit too, so he's more available. He was in St. George for basically the whole pandemic with his in-laws, um, and now that everything's kind of, I'm I'm freaking crazy right now. I'm, I'm in the process of moving and just started a new job, and it's hectic, and, uh, very very hectic. But I should be settling down here pretty soon. But yeah, he's totally down to do another one. So that should be the next one. Is is absolutely is a, is a, uh, a D&D thing with. With good old Stuart Felstead. With Stuart. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you came back on. Uh, Always, man. It's for all those that listen. so much fun to do this with you guys. I, I, I love it. I'm glad I'm still doing it. For those who are listening, thanks for joining. Make sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, all that fun call to action stuff. And then also. Butler sure- Eads 2020. <laughs> and then what makes you think I want to be the president? <laughs> uh, but uh, if you. Um, uh, the other thing, too, is keep an eye out for my youtube video i'm actually moving into making youtube videos now uh sam bear pig 10 that's the channel name uh i think i'm going to change it to something else like sbp productions <laughs> like sam bear productions yeah. something like that but uh, all in due time but uh anyway thanks for listening toodaloo i have to turn on my computer